Are you ready to refocus your energies? Team centered around people with powers? Call me on the list. Right now, just you. Take it slow. Thought a lot about it. And? And my mother was right about one thing. People like me need to be kept a secret. Not like the Avengers out in the open. If we do this, we need to be... Anonymous. That's the idea. People of Earth, if you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animated chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the left to F in your dictionary And add this word to your vocabulary Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor I'm just the definition of a Fanboy, baby I'm a nerd overdrive I will always survive Fanboy, baby Feel so alive watching Babylon Fly But more to be a fanboy, baby Listen up, fanboy. It's the Fanboy Planet Podcast. And here he is, the man behind the mask, Derek McCaw. Oh, yes. It is such a sad, tragic mask. No, it's, it's a happy mask. Smiling on one side and it frowning be, on the other side. It's, it's two masks. It's, yeah. it's, it's many masks, really. It's like two masks converged Did in you, an you know, ultimate I, secret mask I, war. I noticed it in your big wow photos, there was that picture, uh, photo of the booth that had all the, the Japanese. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They had an Ultraman mask that I, that I almost bought, but it was bagged. And it was like, if it turns out to be too small for my head. Oh, yeah. You know, that wouldn't then, be right. That wouldn't be right. And I was like, but man, wouldn't it be awesome to have an Ultraman mask? <laughs> By the way, this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And we are, unfortunately, uh, though fortunately for him, because, of course, it means he's working. We're nateless again this week. And we promise it is not that we have given him the boot. It is that working as a production assistant in, in glamorous Hollywood uh, has uh, means he's keeping odd hours, and we keep odd hours too. Unfortunately, not the same one. So we're a little odd tonight. Tonight, being announcer, and of course, in his usual role as podcast producer here at the Brett Cave. I'm Rick Brett Snyder, and we are podcasting on what <laughs> what day of the it's week? Thursday, is it? though. It's Thursday, 14th. Thursday, May fourteenth. You know, I started writing a check and said like April this week uh, because I'm like I don't want it to be May. I it's just doesn't it, feel like it. It, it. it just doesn't. We well, had rain today. <laughs> oh, we had a lot of rain today. In Sunnyvale, I don't know how it was down no, here, just but sprinkled down here. Uh, it was pouring, uh, really. Like you know, I was scared to drive wow. down the street. It was so he- heavy, and I was heading down to Gilroy tonight, and it was just like up again by my area, pouring. And then suddenly come here, and it's like about hit about here, and suddenly it's. Oh, you wouldn't know there was a, no. a storm. No. It was just, it was weird. Anyway, we are on uh, May 14th, and it is uh, 8.52. Good Lord. And uh, so uh, anything, any news that happened uh, after 8.52 on Thursday, May 14th, we are not responsible for. Hollywood's asleep. And know. probably some, some of the news is already broken. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, if you uh, are listening to this on iTunes, please, of course, subscribe rate us tell your friends and share the word that's my big my big note this week is please share us you can tweet us at fanboy planet we're the present you get give your friends. get people to follow us and of course you can find our facebook page fanboy planet as well so please join our facebook page like us we want to be liked we want to be the sally field of 
of uh, comic book podcast. I just want the hat. Which hat? The Flying Nun hat? Sister Patrol. Yeah, Sister Patrol, the Flying Nun hat. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, of course, you can find us on the Stitcher app, and you can find us at www.fanboyplanet.com, which has a lot of new page content uh, this week as well, some really exciting stuff, and which we may touch upon a little bit uh, in tonight's podcast. And, as well, if you feel that uh, you hear about something on this podcast that you'd like to purchase and you cannot find it at your local uh, brick-and-mortar store or your small business, you can use the Amazon links that are on Fanboy Planet. You can also find a search box there, and we get a small, small, small kickback. So I appreciate that. And, of course, there is a PayPal link as well, so that if you would like to help support Fanboy Planet and the host and help us pay for hosting, you are certainly welcome to do that. We appreciate you. We love you. And even if you want to criticize us, write in at editor at fanboyplanet.com. So let's get down to it. We've got some comics news. We've got some movie news. We've got some TV news. A lot of news. We got a, I think we do. Um, some interesting news. And uh, we'll start off with comics, of course. And I think uh, because both Marvel and DC are in the midst of a weekly event that is, of course, going to change the universe as we know it. Multiple universes. Multiple universes. Uh, quite literally on both sides. Yeah. Uh, Convergence and Secret Wars. Last week we talked about Secret Wars number one, and we said, you know, the problem is that it's really a Secret Wars number zero. It's not a great... In fact, I would agree, uh, even now, having read Secret Wars number two, which I don't think Rick had a chance to peruse through, Secret Wars number two, you did not have to read zero or one to understand this is the new reality. Number two here lays out exactly what Battleworld is like. And it's fun and interesting, and yet on the flip side, as far as making this, this is part of Marvel continuity, it's like, this is just a big game of what if. It's like taking Age of Apocalypse is what yeah. I really felt like. Remember when, back in the 90s when Age of Apocalypse happened? All the and, X-Men titles changed. Times, right. Everything changed to something else. And it was like, oh, it was fun learning that new reality. Yeah. Now this is like every title changes to something else and how it's interlocked. And there's this weird mythology going around. because well, they're like past echoes of prior right. events. Well, because, stuff. you know, what was happening in Avengers was that they discovered they had this huge big bad that turns out to have been Doctor Doom gone back to the beginning of time, going through reality, killing all the Molecule Men because they were once – if they all come together, all existence was going to end. So – that was very confusing. Luke was reading it last weekend going, I, what? Why is he killing? And why is Molecule Man now crazy? I'm like, well, you have to notice that Molecule Man says that. He's going to get crazier the fewer of him there are. And it was he like. He kind of goes in and out of crazy, too. Right. It's not and there's not, a, there's not a great consistency. And then I thought, you know, and then you think the difference is, too, which I noticed they're, they're doing like, um, they're do, doing modern Secret Wars action figure covers mm-hmm. with characters that weren't in Secret Wars, the uh, Mattel line yeah. way back when, but they've created them because you can do 3D printing. It's amazing, right? And um, and I'm, I'm thinking about the two. It's like Secret Wars, that first one, was a toy line tie-in. Yeah. It wasn't great. It was fun. It didn't have this huge impact. You didn't have to read the whole line to understand. The whole line didn't come to a stop. And ultimately, like when they said, you know, Spider-Man came back with a black costume. That it was, was like, about it. That uh, well, the thing stayed on Battle World. That's true. And which for was like great. a year. Yeah, Rocky Grimm, Space Ranger. That was yeah. a great run. That yeah. was wonderful. But the whole thing is, it's like 
that was okay for kids. That was that was great. It was it was simple, and any revelation after twelve issues didn't hurt. You know, it, it was like nothing was in, in that world changing. Yeah, this is they all the, just went back to Central Park and then dispersed. Like a, right, and this literally and this something. literally changed the world. And uh, you know that it's all, and especially after James Robinson just did this nice thing, picking up how you know Franklin could change realities. Franklin's gone. Some of those kids that died at in issue one are back in two as this whole, there's a strange uh, law enforcement situation. So Doom is, is the god of right. Battle World. And they have, how do, how do they put it, is that there's the, um, there's the Doom and Discovery. So the right hand of Doom is Doctor Strange. And he's taking over all the magic and religions. They call it the Doom. And on the left hand is Discovery, and that's Valeria. And that's science. So she's got science police. Doctor Strange is overseeing uh, religious police. And so there are sheriff Stranges around. And the actual police are all Thors. Is it religious or mysticism? He calls it specifically religion. He does. Okay. So, yeah, there might be some people in the Bible Belt that's going to be upset with this. Uh, with, 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 with this. Uh, and so it, and you see all these worlds and, like, there's, you know, all the Captain Britons. There's um, – I did think it was kind of – fun that yes you've got the marvel zombies and the ultrons are sort of existing in the same deadlands so yeah they can fight because neither of them are living and it's and and it's interesting there's a rebellion going on it's set up but there's just all kinds of confusion as you go from world to world and they have a map of battle world i'm like we're never going to get to that in you know Cedar that, Wars. that really does sound like age of apocalypse yeah I mean, and it also sounds a lot like um over on the DC side, it's a lot like Convergence, which then also sort of disappointed with the re- revelation that um, basically Telos is really the Silver Surfer. Is you know, it's re- did you read that from last week? He's not really Norrin Rad, okay, but he's thought he was a computer construct. He was the planet, and right. you know, he was one of the original inhabitants of the planet. And Brainiac wiped his memory in exchange for saving all this family and taking it. So it's like Brainiac was like Galactus was going to destroy the earth and Telos uh-huh. sacrifices uh-huh. himself to be the warden of the, uh, you know, and it's like what? intentional parody. You know? Oh my God. And, and then what's going to happen is apparently over in convergence. Now, some of those realities are going to stay because people are responding well to them in this new great 48 of not being so continuity driven. That's kind of weird though, because I mean, I wouldn't read too much into what people are buying in these books because because no one knows what to, to buy. There's, there's nothing, nothing else, else to buy. To buy. No, absolutely, I if will you say DC. That's what you get. This week, I did pick up the second issue of Supergirl Matrix, and because it was, I picked it up too. Right? It was insanely ambush bug heavy. Yeah, it was delightful. It was the old ambush bug. It was ease leading her through all these realities. And very clearly, which had sort of been dropped because of the new 52, like when he was a reporter and all that in the backs of the books, that stupid Channel 52 thing they were doing. Yeah. This is an ambush bug who is, again, completely aware of himself as a fictional character and uh, and making those comments. And it was like it, it, it was like seeing those those miniseries back in the 80s and 90s. And of these books, it's the one that felt most like. Yeah, that's why I wanted to buy this book. Yeah. Because I wanted to see the character the way I loved it. And he's there. So that one I totally recommend. That was the only one of the Convergence crossovers, the number twos, 
uh, because last week I bought like the Harley Quinn with Captain Carrot, yeah. and it was so inconclusive and confusing because they're ending before Convergence is that they have to have sort of these vague endings because Convergence has already moved on past the setup of issue number one. They've yeah. already gone beyond. It has shifted from it is not these cities have to fight well, it was Convergence. It's not going to be as long an event as Secret Wars. It's eight, eight weeks, but the plot of the weekly comic has yeah. already moved past that Deimos has taken over. But Convergence is going to, but Secret Wars is going to go all summer long. Secret Wars, Wars is, well, zero, one, and, well, one and two came out one week apart. So is Secret Wars going to be a weekly book? I don't know. But my understanding is that was yeah. their summer event. I hope it's not. But be convergence a was only supposed to cover them while they moved from the east coast to it was the west. Just two months, so it's uh, and they're already there, but they're in production. You know, I, I've been seeing tweets from friends that work there saying, you know, they're all in. They've already had meetings, but you know, they had to have this in place. I'm just saying that the second issues by doing two yeah. issues of these tie-ins, those ended before convergence itself literally has because it's a weekly sure. book. So. They've already shifted the game as to what what the stakes are. Now it's whoever is it is it going to be evil or it's basically good versus evil. Hmm. Yeah, and what a change up! What a change! <laughs> what a twist! What a twist! Uh, so, hey, but here's the idea. But, Let's do uh, good versus evil. But there are some interesting things. So here's the missing key: the beginning of the Dark Side War in Justice League actually almost redeems Convergence because I don't know if you picked that up last week and read it. In Justice League? In Justice, yes, Justice League, the actual regular monthly Justice League book. Oh, yes, I did. I did not read it yet. The beginning of the Dark Side War basically establishes that Metron remembers every single reality. Oh, good. And so what they're rewriting is that all the crises happened. So he's the new Pandora. I'm, but I'm okay with that because yeah, that I makes sense. And he even re, re, they even rewrite the pact a little bit in that saying like they're basically Apocalypse and New Genesis, when their orbits would get close, they'd go into war. And that Metron was the one who suggested the pact. And he narrates this whole issue and says – you everyone assumes that because for the for those who don't know the pact was when they was the beginning of they exchanged children right that's not free that that that, uh isaiah the high father of new genesis gave up his son scott scott free who became mr miracle and dark side the leader of apocalypse gave up orion his one of his sons to uh new genesis and and so Metron says, and, and to me, this is just a retcon that the way a retcon should work. Mm-hmm. It, it's just more information to it instead of changing what it all meant. Right, right, right. As he says, everybody assumes I'm allied with with uh, New Genesis. It was just like I just wanted the fighting to stop. I so hear my music. So I, I set this up, but he's he's the watcher. He's basically now being set up as yeah, that makes sense. DC's watcher, and he's been there from the beginning of time. But there's a revelation. Somebody sat in the Mobius chair before him. Okay. And that's what the Dark Side War is going to be about. And so, It's confusing because right now I'm reading the – I'm getting caught up on uh, Earth 2. And mm-hmm. and that's a, another set of Dark Side real heavily into Dark Side. But it's still all one Dark Side. Yeah. And so what's established is that the New Gods walk into all the different realities. Uh, and so Metron – 
remembers Crisis on Infinite Earths. He remembers the multiverse before. He remembers Zero Hour. He remembers it, and that's what he's saying is now with Convergence, the, and, and he acknowledges Convergence in the in, in Justice League and says, "This is reality can't take another one of these. We have to fix it because it's getting weaker every time we." Every time reality stops and rebuilds itself. And so I'm like, okay, I don't know if Jeff, I think Jeff Johns can handle this. It's, but it's almost like a Hickman idea. It's so massive a concept that I'm not sure that any story is going to do justice to the idea. Uh But, and I've said, this is the thing that I, that I kind of liked. I like about secret wars on the Marvel side. And I wrote last week is, if this is reality and th- and reality shifted so badly, anything can happen. And I want to read a story where I really can't call what's going to happen. Anything could. Yeah, sure. And it's something new and fresh. That's what makes reading independent comics yeah. so much fun. No, absolutely. And I realized, you know, because I had a friend who was talking about Age of Ultron, the movie, and saying, like, you know, the Hawkeye fake out where Jeremy Renner is so clearly set up as the sacrificial lamb of the movie. Yeah. And I went... You know, like it didn't even occur to me that that was being set up. And I think I realized why. Because in the movie universe, when you killed Coulson, and Joss Whedon has said this, as much as everybody loved it that he was back in Age of S.H.I.E.L.D., for the reality of those movies, it took those stakes off the table. Yeah. By reviving him. Because once the rule got established that the movie universe works exactly like the comics, that people come back from the dead. Yeah. Then it's like well, it's like I may give you two other examples. I mean, the um, well, one I would say it's even odds right now that they'll bring Quicksilver back in the Marvel universe. That he won't be; he's more Bucky dead. You know that he'll yeah, he'll the find, movies. You mean yeah, yeah. Actually, Luke and I just had a discussion about that. Yeah, and he said, so I said, you know, they used to say Bucky dead, and now because of the Winter Soldier, and he goes. So is it Uncle Ben dead now? He figured that out. <laughs> right, right, I said, right. yeah, yeah, Uncle Ben, ben really dead. hasn't come out. So that's, that's true. That, that's <laughs> but the other one is that if you look at Arrow right now, I mean, the Lazarus Pit is really getting, that's getting really overused I mean, with uh, uh, his, his sister coming yeah. back and then White Canary as well. And Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm like, please. And, and they, they, in one scene... Ollie is railing against it. The next one, he's holding the rope, lowering her into the... Well, I mean, that's but it's always been, even in comics, to me, you say the Lazarus Pit has always been this deus ex machina that anytime somebody's dead, if nothing else, right? at least they added the thing in that there's the insanity, the temporary insanity Her for insanity it. Her insanity was very temporary. Though. You know, yeah. but uh, but that's like, you know, when, when Damien died, it was like, well, the solution is going to be the Lazarus Pit. They twisted that, and I was glad. Yeah. And one of the things that seems to be implied in um, in the Divergence uh, free comic book day DC thing, when there's the eight-page preview of, yeah. of uh, the Dark Side War, one of the things is that Batman's going to become a new god. Bruce Wayne is going, I should say, Bruce Wayne will become a new god. Mm-hmm. Which now, knowing, having read this beginning with Metron, that makes sense in that that was what final was supposed to happen in Final Crisis. That all the original versions, because remember the first ad for it, it said, uh, yeah. heroes die, legends never do, or right. something like that. Right, right. And it was all the silhouettes of the big seven. Yeah. They were all supposed to ascend. DC greenlit it and then got cold feet. 
that Grant Morrison was going to write that basically they were going to become the pan- the true pantheon right. of the DC universe. They were going to replace the new gods. That's why you had the death of the new gods. Right. That's where they're going. So then the new new gods were going to be the Justice League, and then their legacy characters would take over the regular books. And then DC got cold feet. And the only thing they went through was the death of Batman. Do you think that would have been a good idea? Yes. Really? Okay, from a storytelling perspective, yes. From a licensing perspective, from getting readers in, probably not. I would say from just also from the standpoint of you have legacy characters there. I mean, yeah. it's just the you're, you're really eliminating the 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 element of the ongoing story. The time doesn't change well, anybody no, in the but sandbox. Then, of but but the that's DC why you universe. have like like All Star Superman. Grant Morrison loves that idea. Yeah, All Star Superman ends with him going to into the sun. Yeah, and DC One Million is all leading up to his return from the sun in the seven hundred and fifty third century. Right. So that belief that Superman, you know, he's had, see that's a great story, but it's not taking it's it's a secondary right. story. Well, it's I like think they could have. I like think they could come. I know? think they could have told Final Crisis, had them ascend, and then rebuilt the universe with them again younger. Hmm. And they didn't, and that's why I'm not quite there yet. But I'll I'll, I'll jump to Batman Earth One. What I like about the Earth One series. And they're not, I don't want to call them series because so far each one of those titles is self-contained. Amazon has a listing for a Wonder Woman Earth One, but no cover, no team uh, is is better yet. But I have all the Earth One graphic novels, and they just three of them now, right? There's Teen Titans. There's one volume of Teen Titans. There's three volumes of Superman. Oh, and there's okay, two okay. volumes of of Batman. Okay, and they truly are the thing with New Fifty Two, just like. It was the problem with Crisis and Infinite Earths. It's been the problem with Zero Hour. Is that certain key characters have had little or no change in each reality. Mm-hmm. You've made adjustments. Zero Hour made the adjustment to uh, from Batman did know that Joe Chill had killed his parents and he ki- and he caught him to after Zero Hour, he didn't know who killed his parents. He'd never caught the killer. And because those are just little cosmetic changes instead of rethinking what would it be like to become Batman? And this is what the Ultimate Universe did. What would it be like to become Spider-Man in the year 2000? Mm -hmm. And so Batman Earth 1 and Superman Earth 1 is, well, now there's, say, it started four years ago, so 2015. So in 2011, what would the appearance of Superman be? What would the first appearance be? And that's right. why I had hopes for Man of Steel because I thought, well, they took it from a different angle. Um, I still have a lot of problems with it, but you know, and that's what's happening over in Arrow and the Flash and all and all that. And right, we'll get back to that on television. But that Batman Earth One is okay. If Batman, if Bruce Wayne becomes Batman in two thousand fourteen or thirteen, and even when um, you know Frank Miller told Batman Year One, it was. This is some time in the past, and right. this is how he become the becomes the character you, you know, today. know today. And Scott Snyder, great job with Zero Year, but still, it was cosmetically the exact same. It was a few little changes, but it was the, he did some daring stuff with Zero Year, but it was still it's still the Batman you know. The Bruce the Bruce Wayne of Batman Year One, uh, Earth One, is. First, the difference of you can see his eyes, and he's not doing the cold makeup to even blacken that out. He he's so clearly a guy in the mask. 
he's not a great detective because we just know now that's you know it's it's not realistic jim gordon is going to be more of a a mentor to him in that aspect Mm -hmm. who's chastising him when he shows up at crime scenes and saying like um you're disturbing it you're messing this up and you know and says yeah you got the instincts but you're not you know you're not trained and so that's bruce wayne's batman's request you know help me superman is the same thing over there in those series I don't know if they're all if Earth One is all one joined universe because so far it hasn't been. And it I thought it was. I thought it was specifically not. It doesn't that need was to what be. I got from the but Superman when you only one. see, but when you only see one a year, yeah, and it's the best work they can do. I don't need to see. I don't need that to have. I don't need Earth One to have a Brave and the Bold uh, or a, I, a and, and, and I don't want it. One. It I might mean, be interesting in 2025 if maybe, they're still writing then, those yeah. to see what happens. With, with them meeting, but the Superman there is a, a is their a re- worlds can collide and they can fight to determine no, which one. No, you know, but the other thing goes with it is the villains are one shot villains because there's no time to come back and have recurrence. So uh, volume two, uh, volume one had this one that was just I I I guess I'll probably let Luke read it now, but for a couple of years I've resisted letting him read volume one because of the birthday boy. The serial yeah. killer in the first one, who was just so chilling and disturbing, and and the uh, after effects are there in volume two in in um, Harvey Bullock, who is so disturbed by what he's seen, the evil of man that like he can barely function now as a cop. So volume two is is as much about his redemption and getting it back together, realizing you know that Gotham needs good cops and he's like it or not is in the position that he has to be one of them, mm-hmm. which is great. Um but you had the birthday boy and you had Oswald Cobblepot, the penguin. Well the penguin gets taken off the table after volume one. Volume two is the Riddler and a really interesting twist on Killer Croc and and really the first interesting twist I've ever seen on Killer Croc, which you could never do now in the regular continuity. Okay. Because there's just too much right. established. And this is, Jeff Johns just rethinking, if this is who they are now, if they're starting out now, what would they be in this modern world? Yeah. The Riddler is not the Riddler, even though it borrows a lot from Arkham Asylum, the game, in conception. So if you were, a, this is where what the new 52 should have done. If you come to Batman from playing the video games and you go and you see and you pick this up, right? You're right. This is similar enough to the Riddler as you know him, but it's not the badass Batman that you know. And but he's but he might be someday. This is still the journey. We may never see the journey close. Um, There's a brief appearance of another villain that is kind of like, well, you know, that's being set up nicely. Okay, interesting. Batman's not perfect, or a couple of villains get set up. The only flaw with it is that it, it does a twist on one of the villains that is a similar twist to what was going on in the Superman one too. Mm. Um, and I love the Superman or earth one and I, the teen Titans wasn't quite as cool, but it's a good, if you're in a world where nobody else has superpowers and suddenly these powers start appearing, why do you have all these teens? So it's got a, you know, they all have to have a shared origin basically um, i hope that gets a volume two because there are a lot of questions it's an interesting rethinking i didn't necessarily need it but it's an interesting enough rethinking that i'd like to i'd like to see it i don't know what they're going to do with wonder woman but there's a character who could totally stand up to a solo and just yeah. be it you know so yeah. that was cool did we talk a little bit about uh you know convention madness because new york comic con has proven again 
the madness continues. No matter who tries to sell tickets, no matter how organized they think they are ahead of time. I totally don't know anything about this, so tell me. Yeah, New York sold out in like, um, where they put people in like an internet holding cell for like four hours. Four hours. And and already uh, and and they made a mistake and I don't know how this happened because I thought last year they did a better and I think the like better well, ex- now Comic Con the last time I, and my article still up on Fanboy Planet about Epic uh, Epic Lobby yes Epic- I don't like to talk about it though because it's it's very critical um, yeah and, but, and maybe too but but, um, but the the idea then was you everybody who was logged in at a certain time was assigned a lottery a, number a number that they couldn't see and yeah so and then it, it brought you in on those numbers. so they were doing that and what was happening was before like they were four hours before they were even done ebay and craigslist had people reselling i don't know how this happened because last year they were really good afford, but they don't have i guess they didn't have the rule in place that san sell. diego because they didn't expect the response and that's i think that's the big story if you want to say everything in common this year this year i'm not blaming the conventions themselves because you say like san diego it's the epic waiting room that um that was a third party vendor right that they went to who handled it poorly and the same thing happened this year with the travel planners the hotel registrations and comic-con even released a statement saying we know and we're very disappointed as well it was they couldn't handle the volume the volume right and so now that story is again at new york i think we touched on last week it was the same story at gallifrey one and where basically they had to say and, and they tried one day and they couldn't do it so they had a second day where people were able to try yeah. again yeah and they released a link and you could email and then they had to go through the emails individually and give you 24 hours which i thought as as an attempt to do the right thing to right. be fair to everyone that's I, okay it was okay um i just wish in this automated system uh, you know, in this world of automation, that somehow this could be solved. But this week also, hotels went on sale for Gallifrey. The hotel, they had two hotels up, sold out in 90 seconds. So, you know, in New York, however, has people reselling. Yeah. There were scalpers already on, you know, getting in there. So something has to be done there. But when you realize that New York Comic Con had has a capacity of just like, San Diego, at least 140,000 people. And within an hour, they were down to one day tickets left for Thursday. And that was it. Yeah. You know, I mean, there is, there's panic people listening. Look, I I don't know what the solution is. And again, this is not a criticism of the people running New York comic. No, no, no. This is just, again, how crazy I should say last week, wizard world did something that uh, I can't remember which city they were in last week, but they did something that I feel is coming has been coming for a long time. Morgan Spurlock made the call about three years ago at Comic-Con. I attended a press conference with him, and he said, this is what has to happen. Through Con TV on, uh, at uh, Wizard World, that's their online channel, they're starting to stream panels on the Internet. So last weekend, you could go in at the time and watch David Tennant and Billy Piper stream from Wizard World. And I think there was another yeah. one as well. And... I know that there are some, for some people, it's going to be, well, I want to be there. 
Sure. Totally get it. Well, they did totally the, get it. Yeah. But I think that having these panels available as content online is where it has to go it worked, because it works so well for Star Wars Celebration. I mean, there you go. And I would have loved to have been there if I had had the time and the the and I I would have paid to be there and all that. But since I couldn't, yeah, to be able to be online and see Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher come out and hug and you know all the the whole thing, that was that was wonderful. And I'm sure everybody who got into that building loved it just as much, regardless of the fact that there were a lot of people outside watching it yeah on and we know we had streaming. drew here talking about it how he he just watched the stream you yeah. know because he was there and he was there and that was that was a great solution for a lot of uh, yeah. for a lot of people because the room that everybody wanted to be in simply didn't have the capacity right i mean you know it's almost like conventions are almost becoming a triumph of the will situation yes i've made that comparison i mean they're, they're just like this huge i've just decided this year at comic-con i've got to go in there with the attitude that i'm not going to see anything so that and that's been my attitude for the last few years. Everything I see is just a blessing, you know. That that if I do get into one of the halls by some quirk of fate, or the line's actually moving fast I enough that feel, I think we get in, I feel very lucky if I get to attend one small panel. Aside from the one I may likely be on, <laughs> you know, and I'll be lucky if I can get in to see that. And that one's you know it's a lot of people are you know, they're <laughs> gone by then um yeah I, it, so i you know i, I i'm with you i mean that's it was years ago that i finally just went because here's the thing like you know I, I would say even when they treat press it's like i i've been very grateful to be in press conferences for like the marvel movies yeah and to be able to sit there but then when they come in and they ask us well did you just see the panel and we go no because they had us here and they're not streaming those panels even to the press room right. where, of course, the cast wants to talk about what they just talked about. Right. But we don't know. Right. So you have to depend on – actually, this was happening last uh, two years ago when Winter Soldier and, Ga- and Guardians of the Galaxy were paneling is that people were following – the first time I activated the Twitter feed right. for fan, what really used it was because I had to follow people that were in Hall H to see what revelations – we're coming out of the panel, so, so we'd have, have something to talk about. So we'd have a logical question, yeah. In you know, and so that was kind of like you know, I. It's a solution that has to come, yeah. But I also, but here's what again with the conventions, and I'm I'm saying this is not a criticism of the conventions. It is a helpful suggestion for the future. Is that I don't think their infrastructures have grown. Their support staff has not grown, and their administration, their administrative, administrative infrastructure, and their administrative infrastructure does have to grow. And it's not. This is their victim. They're all victims of their own success and of everyone's extreme desire to suddenly be a part of what is this? Mm-hmm. I mean, San Jose next year when we have Silicon Valley Comic Con, I am going to just predict right now. It's going to be insane. There were a lot of people walking around, and I'm taking your pictures and putting up, and it's great. And you can go to Fanboy Planet, and you can see some of the sights of that con and how quiet the, be- <laughs> the, the beginning of the day is. Oh, well, yeah. You know, I mean, because you got well, in arguably, right at the, Arguably, compared with Comic-Con, oh, it's, compared, it's absolutely. Wide quiet space. all day long. But, and, and that's... Or calm, calm. And calm. And that's not going to be a... Cri- and that's not a criticism of... Big Wow. In fact, I'd say Big Wow was very busy, but it was calm, respectful. Yeah. People had a chance to really interact, and 
everybody that I talked to about, oh, you know, what's going to happen with Silicon Valley, everybody had the same feeling of like, I don't want to lose what this convention is. Mm-hmm. This reminds us of what WonderCon was when it started in Oakland. And I'm like, well, you know, those days are gone. Yeah. Because everybody wants peace. Now, we'll see if we can get into the Campbell Comic Con in October. Much, much smaller. Yeah. That might be what those were like. I'm predicting Silicon Valley Comic Con next year is going to be huge and loud and big. And let's say, face it, they were they were uh, announcing it by having people ride a Green Goblin-faced mechanical bull. So subtlety is not in Steve Wozniak's I did get a t-shirt. wheelhouse. Did you? I bought one. I was fine with it because yeah. I wasn't going to ride that bull. I just, I just stood around. I, I, that's what I told. But I didn't want to stand around. I wanted to talk to my friends. Yeah. So – you know, it's going to be huge because everybody I know, if they, especially if they find out about Fanboy Planet or they just find out that I like comics, they all want to go. Yeah. They all want to see what it's all about. Yeah. You know. And it's not a mockery either. People really just want to go. So, I mean, and and on the East Coast, New York Comic Con is going to be the big thing. It'll be interesting to see what Atlantic City, the Boardwalk Con, does that's the first new one, yeah. you know, um, and that's launching in a couple of weeks. I find it interesting that Kit Quinn, you know, the cosplayer that was in Sweethearts of the Galaxy that we ran on Fanboy Planet, she uh, is f- prominently featured in the ads for Atlantic City Boardwalk uh, that have been running in Marvel and DC. And so, you know, it dresses Wonder Woman. Yeah. Um, she dresses as many heroes. I'm gonna I'm gonna confess this utter stupidity about Big Wow. I introduced myself. I talked to her. I said we have mutual friends. Director of Sweethearts of the Galaxy is, is uh, was a good a good friend of mine, and and we both oh Dax we love Dax you know blah blah blah. And I did not get a picture with Kit Quinn, who is you know of all the people that I would want to get a picture at a Big Wow is like I should get a picture with uh, with a very attractive cosplayer dressed as. As a as an enterprise crew member, uh-huh. um, you know, <laughs> I'm just like, and I walked away. I even left the building and went. Oh. Why didn't I get a picture with Kit? Um, because again, we had a very nice conversation, but another I didn't record time. it another time. Uh, yeah, and if you want to catch it up again on Fanboy Planet, you can type in "Sweethearts of the Galaxy." It's a fun web series about a cosplayer who hits her head. And thinks she is actually the character that she's dressed as, and everybody tries to uh, work around that fantasy to bring her out of it. So uh, clever. They're looking at a second season. Don't know if it'll happen. We'll see. Um, this week, a prediction of Rick Brett Schneider's came oh, yeah. true. The female Thor was leaked. It got leaked like two days before, right? Yeah. So what happened? And was- I, avo- I actually avoided all the leaks successfully. I read it in the comic book. Good for you. I had no skin in the game, so I went ahead and read the leak. But it's like, you know, I've seen a lot of people on the West Coast in particular saying, like comic book store owners being upset. It's like, what happened? The initial leak was that somebody opened their shipment, read it, and leaked it. Yeah. And it's like, this is why we can't have nice things. I don't like these spoilers. They build up a story. Yeah. This is why I miss the days before the internet. I mean, you know, that's Marvel was ready. They expected somebody would. So yeah. Jason Aaron had already given an interview. I, I don't know if it was USA Today. I can't remember which which paper it was, but they went ahead and they were and they had an article ready to go talking about it. So the day before the book officially came out, they were ready. You know, it was in print that yeah, Marvel is controlling that leak. They weren't controlling. They were ready for it to be leaked so right. they could make it look. And you know, 
good move on Marvel's part. So it seems like I bet to do that. Uh, but it's still irritating. It's like people are trying, and I know you go, people go like, well, you don't have to read the spoiler. And everybody gets on Rich Johnson's case on Bleeding Cool. And the problem is now that because he posts on social media, like here's a link to the article, it's almost right. like you can't you can't avoid the spoiler. But if you go to if you go to the page and there's if you should stumble directly on the article, like there'll be a headline that says, "Here is the spoiler: Jane, uh, no, no, Thor's identity revealed." Right. If you click, then there's a big stop sign in the middle of the page That's where great. you scroll That's down that says "Spoilers ahead." Warning, and it started as a joke, but I'm grateful for it because it's like it's almost like, are you sure you want to know? And then I go, yeah, yeah, yeah you're I, right. I don't, yeah, I don't. <laughs> you know, I, I. So at least he's, but I, I think there were many that you just couldn't escape it. It was all over the internet, yeah, and people were just blurting it out and and chatting it, and, and it's like, just just remember the days, you know. I, these guys are trying to craft a story, and they want surprise. And I guess that's what I like about Saga, you know, or other image books. It's like, well, if there's a spoiler, if there's a big revelation, they're not big enough that anybody wants to. Yeah, well, it was it was being set up as such a big revelation that uh, who it would be. So you knew, I mean, in the story, Thor had a list of all the potential candidates that oh, he had crossed off one of them. And he came down, there was only one last one that he had, he had not crossed off. And it was Agent Solomon of, of S.H.I.E.L.D., who was a character who had only just been created recently. Yeah. So I'm going, that's obviously wrong because it's not, oh, this new character. Because, you know, made, that's this new Thor. Well, that Solomon is uh, is Germanic for uh, for red herring. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, it's not. But wouldn't that be hilarious? That would be. Uh, <laughs> but so I, I, to me, I mean, I thought, it, I thought it was Jane from the start, even though she was – uh, a, a cancer uh, she's fighting cancer well, right now and she's as, wasted by it and, and that's what they're saying and now that's why I'm going to pick up the trade because that's for me now knowing that revelation I'm betting there's an interesting story in this woman fighting cancer and losing essentially yeah. but that she can escape into being Thor yes is that's definitely very it. interesting and she makes a note at the in, in the last panel in the reveal panel which is the last panel in the issue even though being thor is killing her that it's hastening her death when she oh. becomes thor apparently that's she's even though it's killing me um so that's kind of an interesting twist on that as well the i the idea that i have i have a couple ideas as to how this might might end uh-huh. and then one of them might be that maybe jane or the jane persona does die but the female thor persona continues on that she just gets absorbed into this and they hmm. don't she doesn't need a captain marvel banging yeah. the negabounce together to to swap out um because thor certainly doesn't doesn't need to switch back to uh to uh dr donald uh, blake donald blake yeah um so that's one one thought from my my standpoint, which is it was it's a tough one when you've got, I mean Marvel Marvel deals with some issues like uh, Captain Marvel had cancer and he went to everybody in the Marvel universe to try and get it cured and Reed Richards couldn't and that's you know that's 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 acknowledging that this is a serious thing for people in real life. Well, I can remember that was a very shocking thing. Yeah, in that first graphic novel. That, I mean, literally, that was the first Marvel graphic novel officially called yes. that, The Death of Captain Marvel. 
And yet, on the other hand, um, now it's sort of, I mean, and Marvel's played with this idea a couple times, with all the things that everybody knows, that I mean, that, that these super smart scientists in the Marvel Universe know, and even I think Peter David had posited that the Hulk is essentially cancer. Right, right. Um, that there should be somebody should have solved it. But it's sort of it's sort of the thing with with all of Iron uh, of and you said the superior Iron Man has dealt with this tech question a little bit more is with all the technology that Tony Stark is able to do why mm-hmm. aren't people why isn't the whole world more advanced than it is with everything that right. Reed Richards can do why isn't the world more advanced and so, in the in the Marvel universe in the pardon me in the Ultimates universe they dealt with that Reed Richards went off and created his own. Bubble mm-hmm. bubble world where time went by a lot faster inside of it, so it, it everybody evolved in it, and they became like this next generation of or this next evolutionary step in mankind. And then they they that was a threat that Shield had to deal with. Hmm. So, I mean, it does it does happen, but I think from the standpoint of dealing with something topically specific like cancer yeah. and giving. Jane Foster that it's it doesn't trivialize it for the for the reader who might have somebody in their well, household no, or themselves. We, we we know that time and time again you get uh, I mean it's sad every time one of the movies comes out now it seems like that there is some super fan who by all accounts is not going to live to see the release so yeah. that happened with Winter Soldier where they showed a Superman with Star Trek um, into darkness, there was somebody who was yeah. wasn't going to live to see the release, so they made sure he saw it. And it is just sometimes weird to see it in a in a universe. It, we, you know, it's sort of like when when uh, we, like when Arsenal uh, in DC lost his arm, and right. they were and and they had to they had to do just ridiculous contortions to explain why he settled on a mechanical arm when. You could clearly grow it back. That there are all right, kinds of they people. Can, they can make since Superboy's a clone. Why can't we just grow yeah, another? Grow another one, and yeah. um, you know. And there's the purple healing ray of the Amazons. There's all kinds of things established yeah. in other people's books that say you could solve this. Yeah, you know. And so that's I, I, I'm not taking away the dramatic, but then again, that's an argument back for why maybe DC's new approach of being individualized continuity is not dependent on what's going on in other books is a better storytelling mm-hmm. idea because then you're not like, but wait a minute, if you went over into such and such book, you know, right. So, right. So, but if that just go see the inhumans, you'll be fine. Not now. Um, sorry, spoiler for television. Uh, so yeah, let's, uh, before we go into, into what's in the bag, we won't sing and <laughs> And sing the song but uh, i did want to mention we were going to have a guest on tonight and so i still want to give um a shout out he's an east coaster and unfortunately i was not able to start recording the podcast until much later than i had originally planned tonight um not unfortunate in that a good thing happened that delayed me but um you know time with my kid but uh and he understood so i want to shout out we put on the uh website a couple weeks ago this kickstarter um, you know, Rick does the uh, fanboy on Kickstarter things that uh, campaigns that he sees and he likes. Um, I invite 
I look at if there's if I know a project's coming from somebody whose work I I really like, I'd say, well, send me a press release so that we can do a little something on it ahead of time. So I I don't evaluate from the same reason. This is honestly somebody I've met at a convention thought I like your artwork, Daniel Cooney, who did this great series called Valentine, which was kind of like it started before Alias. So it's a, a female spy, um, you know, basically trying to get get through and and fight the other agency. Really great, interesting artwork, and I'd seen him post a couple a couple months ago these sketches for a new thing graphic novel he wanted to do called the Tommy Gun Dolls, which is about three women in burlesque uh, burlesque dancers from uh, burlesque entertainers from 1920s San Francisco. It's got prohibition, it's got gangsters, it's got jazz, and it even and says Tommy guns and Tommy guns, and he says uh, based on uh, historical events so i'm not sure if that means that is this a true story or he was taking some of the things and then created his three characters uh and um it's a very interesting looking crime thriller um with three female leads who are uh, dressed as burlesque and so we're going to try and have him on the next gonna try week to have him on in the next week or two uh so uh he launched a kickstarter campaign last week and i'm really impressed with this is uh they're like 87 percent as of this afternoon 87 percent there and he still has a couple of weeks left so now he's coming up with well what are the stretch goals going to be um you know and, and and that's really cool so i'm really happy for dan cooney you can look on fanboy planet look up tommy gun dolls uh or you can go just directly to kickstarter and if it sounds like an interesting uh graphic novel to you he's got a great style one of the questions I will ask honestly is is his style is so clean uh and yet detailed I don't know why he hasn't gone to work for uh you know hasn't done some work for DC or Marvel They're currently less than $300 under their goal. Well, then great. It's even better than uh than it was when I last checked in this afternoon. So, uh we're going to have Daniel Cooney on. He used to be a Bay Area guy, now he's on the East Coast and uh a great art instructor as well. Oh, I guess one of the reasons I've gravitated to him is he's very uh, very dedicated to education and arts education. And, of course, that's uh, very near and dear to my heart as well, as I'm sure it is to Rick's, but I'd say I need to speak from my own uh, perspective. Having been an arts educator for a long time, uh, that uh, that I admire anybody who's doing that and really putting their money where their mouth is and trying to help the next generation and build the next generation of creators. So uh, let's go to... What's, What's in the bag? Yeah. What's we go. in the bag? We're going to try a different. What's in the bag? What's in the bag? Let us not indulge that any further. No. Going for, What's in the bag, dub dubs? Going for the guy from Midnight Cowboy. Uh, Ratso Rizzo? Yeah, Ratso. I'm walking here. Yeah. What's in the bag? What's in the bag? All right. What's up there? Dustin gonna, Hoffman, by the way, that that was, that uh, was Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, a little little actor named Dustin Hoffman. Maybe you've heard of him. Yeah, I knew him when he was cool. Um, my first one. Did you know him? I didn't no. know. Him. I knew of him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mine is actually an eight dollar book. And I looked at this, and it's curious. mostly reprints of a character that's really swung around from what what it was originally to what it is now in a way that I just find absolutely charming and cool because this is Night Nurse and the front cover shows her coming up with and when was the last time you saw a word balloon 
on the cover, cover of yeah. a comic book because it's trying to evoke the old yeah, the old first style. in the 70s early 70s I think it was early 70s there was uh, about the same time as uh, well, Greer uh, uh, the cat beware the claws beware of the, the cat beware the claws of the cat and night nurse and there were there were like women power mag- there were like three or four women women powered magazines so um, and she's saying he's hurt hurt bad I've got to help him Sterling <laughs> prose there uh, but you've got uh, Luke Cage and... Uh, well, you notice who they all are. Yeah, it's the Defenders. Yes, from, the, for, the Netflix Defenders. So Night Nurse started off as a nurse who worked at night. <laughs> and it, it looks... The, and we've got reprints of the of the uh, comics uh, yeah. in different phases. So she's like a nurse in a hospital and there's a guy who comes in with a gun. Um, she showed up in a Doctor Strange miniseries too. It's Enter the World of Danger, Drama, and Death, Night Nurse. So when medical dramas, to be fair, also it wasn't just uh, kind of Marvel trying to jump on a feminist band right, bandwagon. Right, there right. were you know things like the Rookies and uh, uh, Marcus Welby, MD, was very big. Um, but the thing the thing about this is then you have Daredevil. In the back of uh, let's see, when would that 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 the Marvel Knights? The Marvel Knights. So that so was about like two thousand, uh, two thousand one, late nineties, I thought. Oh well, sometime around. Fanboy Planet had started when Marvel Knights Daredevil had. Okay, so that's why I say two thousand, two thousand one. So she shows up in this, uh, and she's basically somebody who superheroes can go to get fixed up. Yeah, and that continued in most recently in the Mighty Avengers. Yeah, um, well, and it was part of. I think she was actually in Civil War, and the and the reason, yeah, and and like I said, there was a Doctor Strange miniseries where there was an implication that occasionally they were dating, but her identity has changed as well. She is Claire Temple, and now is yeah. the is the Night Nurse, and it's not who she is in the original. Is Julie something? It Linda, was, Linda. It's an alliterative, alliterative though. Um, Claire Temple is uh, Rosario Dawson's character in Daredevil. So that's why they're getting this reprint right now is because they had established a character uh, on the TV show who is, uh, you know, could be argued is Night Nurse. So um, you've got three three nurses, one blonde, one redhead, one black girl. It's like Charlie's Angels. Yeah. Yes. It's so period. So anyway, uh, $7.99, but... This this is a nice hefty well, book. Well, I'll match your seven ninety nine because I have a DC ah. seven ninety nine. Oh, that's Night Nurse too, isn't it? It's uh, sort of. Uh, it's Wonder Woman seventy seven special, which I think has been a digital, like Batman sixty six started oh, off soft okay. digitally. So they did it as one big special. Um, I've not read through the whole thing, unfortunately. Um, really wanted to, but it's based on the Linda Carter television series and that's and why she looks like Linda Carter on the cover oh yeah and, and inside as well she they did a really nice job um it just doesn't have quite the fun snap of 66 because I think one of the things about Wonder Woman the t- tv series is it took itself seriously no it didn't it, it they it, they really tried not to but it is still a, it is not as funny a show I like the Wonder Woman tv series don't get yeah. me wrong especially when it was uh, taking place in World War II these stories are set in the CBS revival. It was originally on ABC, and then right. switched to CBS, where they went to the modern day, and it was the son of Steve Trevor, who was also named Steve Trevor and looked exactly like his father, <laughs> um, where she's more of a spy. 
So they have some fun playing around. Mark Andreco um, writes the story, at least the opening and story. And she's 80 years old. And, and they, right, which is fine. Like, I, yeah. I, I said that that's a mistake the movie universe has already made is they should have done a Wonder Woman, like Captain America, done a Wonder Woman st- story set in World War Two, and so then she the, just comes out of retirement right. not having changed because Superman and Batman are fighting and gone, boys, stop it. Right. Um, uh, you know, but... That they they play around with that um, that Diana Rigg look that Emma Peel look she had you know oh, yeah. so she wears that outfit in this and um, but it is, but the thing is you read a, a story of of the Linda Carter Wonder Woman and it's just a good Wonder Woman story yeah there's nothing special like when you read a Batman sixty six it's a very different vibe from anything else and so I, I think that's why it's happening this way as one special instead of an ongoing series the way that uh Batman 66 I appreciate did. that yeah you know but um I think this is probably uh you know a good good Plus, it's probably by. something you would hand off to a young woman oh yeah absolutely and it's something that I'm going to hand off to uh you know Luke as well uh and it's got an article by Andy Mangles and and uh so an interesting history of the TV series and of the character did they try and make the the edges look faded or yeah they're doing they yeah. made like an old antiqued yeah so uh, and then there's some really great sketch things and ooh and there's a there's a drawing of the uh Kathy Lee Crosby version oh uh, yeah for that horrible she had a spear yes so there's a whole a uh, thing there it's a it, it's it's a good book it's interesting i just don't know that it's going to continue on so cool cool so um we've already talked about this a little bit uh, my second book is Thor number eight, which of course on the cover shows her in shadow taking off her helmet. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention about Thor just in general, this is probably my favorite run of Thor in quite a while and not so much just because of Thor, mm-hmm. but because of what they're doing with all the other characters, the fight between Frigia and mm-hmm. Odin and um, the Odin son. Yeah. Or the prince uh a- acknowledging that yeah he he knows that everything's where it should be and he's no longer the drunkard that he was in axis and um it's just and it's a it's a beautifully drawn and and uh wonderful yeah. book so i this is still a uh they've not made any missteps in this as 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 suspicious as i was going into this of this and i serious i picked this up thinking I'm going to be like two issues and out of this. I This is one of the ones that I read first and my first part of the stack. So, yeah. Thor. Yeah. All right. And looking forward to Thor's, too. Yes, which is the battle world. Yeah, and that's established in Secret yeah, I Wars read, number I read two. Yeah, I read far enough into, into yeah, so Yeah, that is interesting. I'm going to pick up uh, Howard yeah, the Duck number too. three. Um, one, uh, because it's the best use of Aunt May, uh, and uh, that it actually, this is the first time it references back quite a bit to the original series. Yeah. And this is the first time that they've revived Howard the Duck that is almost worthy of, of the, the original, original series. series. While it's a continuation, there have been changed. So, so then I'd say trapped in a world he's grown accustomed to instead yeah. of the trapped in a world he's never made. But um, this has a mystery villain that I was like, yes, that was a villain from the first that's a regularly established Marvel villain that Howard did fight in the original run a couple of times. And uh, so... Well, didn't Dr. Bong show up recently? Uh, no. In something? He's, he was uh, in some he, book He may have shown up something, in Howard. something else, but, but they're acknowledging all that. And this has the feel. 
He doesn't have Beverly. He's trying to just get through. There's an interesting backup story, too. I don't know why they just didn't tell the whole story. I think it's because Secret Wars did sort of mess things up uh, on the timing of it. But there's a backup story about a superhero impersonation uh, organization so that you can have uh, your superhero like at your imp- party or something. At your parties. And so, like, the guy who is Wolverine, because Howard the Duck is now a private investigator, uh, the guy who impersonates Wolverine at parties is asking, trying to hire him to say, what happened to Wolverine because <laughs> – my business has gone down. Can you find him and put him on like 12 super teams like he was in the good, <laughs> day, good old days? I was making a lot of money then. And then they're arguing about it. Can they, you know, who can they, who can you be? Like if you're, if you're a certain good looking superhero, well, it's easy to transfer over to impersonating a different, different one. But if you, if you look like Wolverine, yeah, you're kind of like that. Shake sh- your head and go as puck. Yeah. That's exactly what he suggests. Oh, I was like, you say, you might get away with being that that Canadian guy on Alpha Flight, <laughs> that short guy. And I'm like, uh, and it, it, it's funny. Um, so I, I mean, I'm enjoying the book. Uh, Chip Zdarsky is writing it, and uh, he's also the artist on Sex Criminals over at Image, um, and jo- and Joe Quinones is the artist. And any book that opens with uh, Aunt May robbing Howard the Duck at gunpoint, that feels like the Steve Gerber thing. Yeah. You're opening oh, no. with an image totally. with an image that totally goes like, what? What, <laughs> what the duck? Uh, you know, and, and the story totally is worth it. So especially there's a running gag in just three issues how it's really like a complete exaggeration of, of Spider-Man from the 60s. Like he just keeps feeling that every time he encounters Howard the Duck – it exacerbates how much he feels like a total loser. <laughs> and I won't spoil the joke, but it's hilarious. I just... What's going on? No. There was music. Oh, I switched. To, Did anybody I else hear switching, that? I was switching apps. Okay. Anybody else hear that? All right. So what's uh, next on your list? Okay. Uh, before, that, you just reminded me of something that uh, actually was noteworthy against Thor, which was, uh, I think, last month, the Thor annual came out issue one. Oh, yeah yeah and it had it had a number of stories and it had uh, again one of those things i like about the the late the last couple of thor runs is that they've been talking about king thor who is at the end of time yeah and then they have of course they have the standard thor and then they have young thor who you get to it's almost like the t- other old tales of asgard but it's yeah. a little bit more i, I little, remember that from the jason's last run yeah a little a, a little less um the god killer or the god eater yeah, or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So um, in this one, they had um, they had three stories. One of them was was the female Thor in the middle instead of instead mm-hmm. of the current Thor. Um, but the the story that was about young Thor was the art was by Rob Guillory. Oh, from Chew, yeah. yeah. And it was it was it was it was a funny story to begin with. Uh, Loki and Loki and Thor are drinking in a bar, and Mephisto comes in. It's like it's like the setup for a joke to begin yeah. with, um, and Giller is just perfect for it. And you had the same kind of like uh, what kind of takes that you would get from mm-hmm. uh, Chew as well. So yeah, it's probably still in the stands, and that was I think yeah, because I think you'd mentioned it. I don't think you'd read it at the time. It's a I, good. I, I don't think it was in my my what's in the bag, but the. Um, uh, they are all standalone stories. You don't have to read anything else to to get get them. So, my last book, however, is Star Wars Darth Vader, which I've said it before, and I will continue to say it. Um, this is this new Star Wars run in Marvel is great. Yes, this is the best book. 
The Darth, the Darth Vader is the best book because of the focus on Vader and what they're doing with his personality, the new characters that are throwing at him, and his political situation after what's cons- what is considered by the Emperor his failure at the end of A New Hope. Mm-hmm. And his obsession with this pilot who he felt the force... In. Right, which they've touched on in the regular Star Wars book, in right. the main Star Wars book. But in this book, um, I mean, the art's great, the plotting's great, the the secondary characters they've created are all, like, solidly built and interesting. So um, if you were only, I, I would, I mean, it's odd to say, but if you were going to pick up just one book, I would say this is the one to pick up. Of the Star Wars books. Over just the one, uh, over just the Star Wars book. The other, I mean, but I'm going to say, like I said, it's like, and we say that because Lando has not yet been released. They're all three, really. I mean, the uh, all all the regular books. I think the weakest one is probably the Padawan one. But cut on, cut, uh, yeah. I that that book's interesting. I I I've, I've been buying it because I'm I'm intrigued by the Rebels series again. Not having yeah. caught up, but yeah. Um, but I'm just saying, it's the weakest of the, a very strong set of books. So mm. I like it particularly because Greg Weissman, the creator of the show, is writing the book. Ah. So it's really, truly, you see it tightly in canon. Whereas I'm not sure where these are going to fit. Yeah. These other books will fit in this as Disney retells, this, you know, re-expands the universe. But again, it's like, it's like, oh, too bad. You took bronze at the Olympics. You were in the frickin' Olympics, you know? Yeah, <laughs> You're exactly. the third best in the world. Exactly, exactly. Uh, So my last book this week of note is uh, from Archaea, um, which is, uh, you know, also rather owned by Boom Studios. It's a $3.99 book if you care about these things, but but very nicely bound. Uh, It's called Lantern City. Uh, It's an interesting story of a kind of a dystopia again as kind of a steampunk, the world above, the world below, the servant class below being really oppressed. it has an interesting twist, but it's beautifully drawn, uh, and it's written by an, by a writer who Paul Jenkins and uh, Matthew Daly, who is one of the co-creators of the book, and that's what I think makes this book interesting or of note this week to check out, because Archaea has done this before. There is uh, is co-created by uh, Matthew Daly and a guy named Trevor Crafts, I don't know, and Bruce Boxleitner, who of course is Tron, um, and an older actor who. I don't know if he's looking to develop a property that can be sold to film and that he can be in. I don't see the role in here if if there is. But I think what's interesting is maybe it is he to- tossed around ideas with some creators and said, I don't have the time to do this or I don't feel like I have the skill. Uh, this is the at least, to my knowledge, the second time that Archaea has picked up a, a I guess, a celebrity's creation. and Because last year there was Alyssa Milano with Hacktivist which was actually a much, much better book than you would think, um, you know, in the rash of celebrity written and celebrity created books. She'd really thought out the idea. It's, um, you know, was trying to do something really cool with it. Um, so it's interesting that Bruce Boxleitner is involved in this. I know he's liked sci-fi for a long time, not just been in a couple of yeah, seminal yeah. works. Um, you know, I'd had a conversation with him. I, I guess I've talked to him twice. And, uh, you know, it's been very clear that he approaches it as as an appreciator, if not an out-and-out fan. But he's out doing the convention circuit 
stumping for this book. So it's kind of interesting. It is, it is beautifully, beautifully drawn. Um, and it's, a, it's kind of an interesting twist on the rebellion of the underclass kind of idea. I'm not quite sure where it's going to go. And that's something I appreciate again, not quite being sure what's going to happen next. Um, I can make some predictions. I just don't know if I'm right. So uh, it's funny. Every time you say Bruce, Bruce Boxleitner, you know what I think of? Bring I don't him back alive. Trying, bring her back alive with yeah, Cindy Morgan. Frank Buck. Frank Buck. And, well, Cindy Morgan was in Tron too. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, She yeah. was in Caddyshack too. Yes, she was. Uh, yes, Frank Buck. I love that show. Yeah, that was one of the oh, yeah. uh, one of the um, you know Indiana Jones ripoffs that the networks did. But it, it 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 didn't do it quite the same way. It was more tongue in cheek and yeah, and just like fun. the one that Stephen Collins had, Tales of the Gold Monkey. At the same time, yes, they were both on different channels at different uh, stations at the same time. Yeah, you know, is it wonder that is it any wonder that network television just ate itself? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, and and they wondered, yeah, because neither one, neither one lasted more than a season, right? Because, yeah, gee, the audience wasn't as big as they wanted because you programmed them exactly against each other. I think we started to have some people had VCRs. I, I, they I might have had Betamaxes. I, yeah, no, well, I'd yeah. say a couple, my first couple of friends that had VCRs, yeah. they were Betamaxes. Yeah, uh, we didn't have VHS. Um, in fact, I think we used to rent a, a Betamax like for a weekend. My dad would go to Curtis Mathis and we'd rent one for the weekend and watch tapes at home and be like, mm-hmm. yeah, this uh, feels wrong, but so right. No, well, I we didn't say that. <laughs> uh, but then my friend who had a Betamax would tape things and tape shows and I'd get to watch like, f- you know, four episodes of Dallas in a row on a, on a beta. Uh, well, probably a stack of tapes. I don't remember how long they did. But anyway, let's go to movies. I just want to note so that Nate can, you know, have a little twinge as he hears this, that I know because I've seen some postings on Facebook that Fox is starting to screen Fantastic Four. It's a couple months out. It's more like, you know, to get nobody involved in the, you know. <laughs> Depends on how high the fatality count is nobody in, in fanboy audience. Pl- nobody in Fanboy Planet of, of or their ilk is going to get invited right now, but they are doing some test screenings and seeing. So, uh I suspect we're going to hear a lot of rumors in the next week or two. Probably. Maybe confirming, maybe not, but we're going to hear, you know, some word is going to be out on Fantastic Four. Um, Latino Review has reported this afternoon that Asa Butterfield is indeed, I think we talked about that was a possibility a couple of weeks ago for Spider-Man, that he is officially in negotiations with uh, Marvel to play Spider-Man in Civil War, which they got to get started on because Lord knows they've started filming Civil War. Yeah. So, uh, I, and we talked about him too as I think he's an interesting choice. And so uh, that is uh, good to see. And also announced today, Ava DuVernay, who directed Selma, uh, is the director for Black Panther. Well, it's good to have a woman directing yes. something there. Well, absolutely, because, you know, what's interesting is the uh, ACLU has uh, filed suit uh, saying that opportunities for women directors in Hollywood are very restricted. And uh, so there is a suit going up against basically all the studios uh, demanding that things be changed and that more opportunities go. Um, I have always felt in some ways that film direction is on on one level, it's got to be merit. But then on the other level, I, the argument is exactly what we made la- last week when we talked about like Josh Trank and and Garth, uh, the guy that did Monsters and Godzilla. Um, 
uh, Gareth Williams, I think, is, uh, or is that like the character from Star Trek, uh, Gareth? Uh, but uh, anyway, th- there are these directors that they make one cool little indie film, and then they immediately get handed right. big, uh, big things. Whereas Catherine Bigelow, fantastic action dir- director, been nominated twice, right? She did Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, and she's not being offered these um you know she was and for god's sake she just for the basis of having been married to james cameron at one point that woman should be uh, be offered all kinds of opportunities because she knows the darkness of men's souls Mm -hmm. and she's not offered these big she has to put these projects together herself and scrabble no studio is going to to her so i do see that as uh as a good move i think that that because we're watching male directors crash and burn and male directors, guys that are like, they have no business directing sometimes get asked. Oh yeah. You know, they're like an art director who goes, Oh, they're like, they've done music videos. Uh, well, and that's worked out okay with like Spike Jones and so forth, but he's not done a, a big thing. Um, you know, and then, and some move on just quite well. nicely. John Favreau's turned out to be a, you know, a, a mm. decent director. But I do feel I, I can remember back when it was a, the Antonio Banderas was in one uh, Mambo King's play Songs of Love. It was just like a guy who was owned a museum, and he liked the you know he was wealthy enough to buy his way into directing, uh, you know. So he got his shot, and who and so it is a bit of a boys' club. And I'm going to say if you haven't seen Selma, you should. Very effective film. I can't believe considering that they literally did not have the rights and I'm by the way literally using literally in its literal meaning literally did not have the rights to any of Martin Luther King's actual speeches ah. and then they had to have him say things that were vaguely around and sounded like kind of the things King would say and that movie is so powerful without ever actually getting to use his words um, it's a great film. So the chance that so for her to to come on board and to be the director of Black Panther, I think is is great because a first and foremost, she is a good filmmaker. Um, Fox has announced the new mutants. I think they had sort of hinted they were going to do this a while back. Yeah, and Simon Kinberg is now confirmed. I, yes, I they're moving forward. They're yeah. forward, uh, moving forward with it. But as often happens with these news cycles, something dies away and then they go, no, we're really going to do it because they've got a very, uh, a lot of renewed interest with Deadpool, of course. And I do think with Wolverine 3, they're sort of looking to push aside that old X-Men cast and Uh say, let's focus on these new, you know, the the article again brought up Channing Tatum coming as Gambit and, you know, because X-Men Origins Wolverine is completely being undone. Sorry, you know, if you liked... Uh, it's worth noting that it's not the first time they've done them. The New Mutants? Ah, no, that was Generation X. Oh, that's... Wasn't there just a natural progression from the New Mutants to Gen... No, I guess not. No. The Fox TV movie yeah. of Generation X was... Uh, that had They had Banshee and Emma Frost, the White Queen. Right. Uh, but it was all actual. It wasn't all. Jubilee was in it. Yeah, uh, but I have it on tape somewhere. Skin. Around uh, I don't think they did. Chamber. Husk. I think they might have done Chamber. There were a couple that weren't in the comics, but uh, and yeah. then they fought Matt Frewer as I can't remember what his character. It was a character they made up just for the TV movie. Because it was back in those dark days when they went. Oh, no, studio execs know better than than yeah. you know. 
And so what if you have a universe full of, of enemies that people are dying to see? I've got an idea for your... David Hasselhoff as Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, I thought that was fine. I'm actually pretty sure it was. I never saw it, but I do think it... I've got that on. I have I, I, those recorded from my, my VHS. It so. is the only one of those Fox sci-fi movies that I didn't watch. I taped all of them. Yeah. That was Doctor Who, Generation X... And Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. And I think there was another one. I don't think it was a Marvel-related, but it was, uh, you know, people forget. It's just sort of like the idea that people don't like to hear that remembering that the first actual official Marvel movie was, of course, Howard the, the Duck. Duck, which I just bought. Uh, it was five ninety nine at Safeway, and I went, Luke has to see it. Howard so. the Duck. Thomas Dolby. Yeah. There we go. Um and so, you know, the big, uh, we were talking about doing new intros for movies and said, oh, we can't do just like coming attractions because we talk about movies we've seen. So this is the night that uh, just a couple hours ago, even though I saw it already, um, first screenings, uh, first official showings where people could pay to get in for Mad Max Fury Road. Um, a whole new era of Mad Max. Yes. Without that other guy. Although I think he does a good job of channeling it. I don't think purposely. Yeah. I think there's just something. And I was reading a little article about it. How like he. Uh, Thomas Hardy likes to do. You know like different takes each time. Different approaches. But the performance that's cobbled together. Um, from all the different takes. Is very much like I could see it being the. And this is not an insult. I could see it being the performance that Mel Gibson. Would have done. Would have done. Yeah. And um, you know. Because I know like Mel Gibson is rightfully i think exoriated a lot right now mm -hmm. but let us not forget that he is was a really good actor and he took uh the you know his being in mad max was uh you know it was an action film that would have been a cut above anyway but mel, mel gibson in there really elevated what could be done with a character without a lot of dialogue you mean the original movie? The original movie. Which the, wasn't the same. It wasn't anywhere close to Road Warrior or Beyond Thunderdome. I mean in all three, really. I think he yeah. did a great job. They're actually cops. You know, they're, they're, yes. they're supposed to be he's out there. He's a cop. In the, it's, civilization is dying in the first one. But Road he's Warriors, still got a house with a white picket fence. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, and yeah. a family. He and, moved, and then George Miller moved the idea forward in the Road Warrior to something yeah. else. Well, we call it the Road Warrior. Apparently, everywhere else in the world, it is just Mad Max Two. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, they moved it once he hit that post-apocalyptic thing. Yeah, that you know, they get beyond the th Thunderdome. Uh, the first one did very well. Yeah, uh, it held the world record, the Guinness World Record, until uh, the Blair Witch Project for being the smallest amount of money spent on a film versus the most profit. And so uh, it was an exciting movie, but it was definitely low budget, and it was oh, uh, yeah. yeah, which is again nothing wrong with that. It's sort of no. like watch those that first Evil Dead, and probably still one of the best movies Sam Raimi's ever made mm -hmm. uh, because he was hungry, uh, you know, and literally. George, and George maybe George Miller is a similar thing. So this one, um, I know there's a lot of hype, and you sent me a link, which I you know I'd already known. When did this become the thing? Now I mean, it said it's like certified fresh by rotten tomatoes i've yeah. seen so many ads saying that about a lot of different movies like oh this is but this is generally this is like a hundred percent on the tomato meter um i think it was 98 percent you know the link you sent me said 100 percent now yeah. maybe somebody now somebody churlish has gone 
No, maybe a Meninist. I think as you I've should, heard. I think it should be taken down, down a peg because, because that's, this is that, not, that, my that favorite movie. A little green. My favorite movie is it's not higher than this. Yes, yes. My favorite movie is. Uh, I, I got to come up with a good bad movie. Um, but anyway, uh, Field of Dreams. Don't rip on Field of Dreams, man. I was just saying no. it was a good movie. No, it is. But that's why I think the, the tomato meter is just, I mean, that 100% fresh is like, all right, it's the new thumbs up, but Jiminy Christmas. Although, when you see that in terms of Mad Max Fury Road, you go, that's right, because in the apoc- post-apocalypse, tomatoes we won't are, have fresh fruit. Tomatoes are <laughs> worth their weight we, in gold. We will not have tomatoes. Uh, you know. Canned. Um, so, I find, and I was, again, reading, so... It's of note to comics creators because it's all he wrote the screenplay. George Miller, I say, I'm going to put in air quotes, wrote the screenplay in conjunction with Brendan McCarthy, who uh, did a Zenith with Grant Morrison. He, he's done a, a Judge Dredd. Uh, so a comics artist and writer uh, who is now doing, uh, now collaborated with George Miller. What they did, they didn't write a script. They storyboarded out the oh, whole yeah, thing. To. There is no screenplay. It's all storyboards that he just went, I want the sequence to look like this. Yeah. I want the sequence to look like That's that. That's a way to sell that kind of movie. I mean. Yeah, I'm saying, but it's not a way for the actors to deal. Oh, um, <laughs> so, Which one of those is me again? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, um, but aside from the being an innovative and scary way for somebody who wants to be a screenwriter to see uh, them uh, put a, a film together. It absolutely, absolutely pays off. There's very little dialogue comparatively. I mean, which they've never really, other than you remember things from like Tina Turner and Beyond Thunderdome. Beyond Thunderdome was probably the talkiest one of the Was the talkiest. This is uh, not super talky, uh, or it's at least super improvised in a concept. And after watching this film, I would say, and I try not to give spoilers still at this point, um... That all the hype is true, that this is an action film that actually has a point of view, uh, a very strong point of view and a message behind it. And, you know, the controversy this week has been that the men's right movements have been very upset with this. And I want to say to the men's rights people is that if you do find yourself identifying with the males in this film and you feel that they are being unfairly attacked, then you are assholes. therapy. (laughs) <laughs> you know, um, because I didn't think it was a misandrist film necessarily because obviously the hero is still, although it is as much, uh, Furiosa's, that's uh, Charlize Theron's character, it is as much her film as Max's. Uh-huh. And again, in all the thing about, you know, Black Widow last week, to see this other this is where the solution is going to come is we're going to create these very strong female characters who embrace and inhabit all the sides, the sides of, of what you might say femininity for lack of a better term. Someone can school me. I'm fine with that. But you know, of being a woman, uh-huh. uh, but being strong, being sensitive, being all, all these things. And Charlize Theron absolutely kicks ass as well as the character is, I didn't even notice till halfway through, uh, well, I shouldn't say halfway, but a quarter of the way through, it becomes a, a little bit of a, of an action point in the fight that, uh, she is, uh, the character is an amputee, doesn't have uh. a lower left arm. 
And so she has a mechanical arm that gets pulled off at one point. I went, oh, that's pretty bold. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, great. Uh, it And it's just, you know, it's disturbing. It's crazy. And yet there is not an element of it that I couldn't think well, if this is what we do, is this what happens to humanity banding together? Still kind of, I always get the feeling Australia is the only place left after George Miller always leaves it unclear what really happened to the world. Yeah. A strong implication of, of nuclear war, of limited nuclear exchange. Um, there's definitely, it's about gasoline because that, that car culture is there. And that's what, and that's what I'm saying is all these um, exaggerations but they're logical exaggerations of kind of like masculine the i i think the worst parts of masculine culture yeah. are brought to the forefront by these survivors because they're the strong they're the there's definitely this thing running through uh that I don't really recall the early ones having though they certainly had the lifestyle of of kind of um heavy metal be uh, of the of the worst excesses of heavy metal and I like heavy metal but you know um the worst success is being taken as a lifestyle. So mm-hmm. they're talking a lot about going to Valhalla and, and we're so metal and we're going to go chrome. Right. And, and it's very much car culture Dying on, and very, um, what's the road? Dying on there. There's a line in the, in the, uh, the Fury road. Yeah. I oh, mean, yeah. they say it's the, it's the Fury road. Um, and it's uh, Nicholas Holt, the guy that's, uh, the beast in the days of future past, uh, and, and first class. Uh, very gentle actors, only just being this crazy, the war boys. And there's a guy, you know, there. And again, it's like, well, this is what the Vikings are doing. The people that were playing the drums. And, right. they said and the, the leader is making sure that everyone is kept in this frenzied state. And using, and this is where I started getting, I'm watching this movie starting to get very disturbed because to get geopolitical for a moment, I've read enough to know this is of concern, say like in China, where you've had the one child rule in effect so you have a lot more men than you have women right and we know this is happening that china a lot of young men are going into the army because that's what you do you've got all this testosterone you've got all this aggression um so they're putting it into into something kind of ritualized and militarized to help them kind of expunge that aggression and there are some people concerned I'm not saying I ha- share that concern 100%, but I, but knowing human nature, that when you have this much aggression that they're trying to sublimate and you run out of things to be aggressive about within your own culture, you what do you do? You start creating them, yeah. right? And so this is, it becomes this cult. Eve Ensler, uh, a writer whose work I respect immensely, I directed one of her plays at Notre Dame, um, Necessary Targets, about Croatian... Um, Refugees, Ser- uh, Serbs, Bosnian. <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm blanked on the right. Bosnian refugees, the, a women's camp surviving after the genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, and she, you know, she worked with these women. So she was brought in to talk to the women about like what would be if you were essentially the victim of constant rape, and how would you respond? And and that's one of the things that again these Mennonists are being feeling very offended by is that uh, you know. There is this wild thing, and there's a direct accusation, and it's there from the beginning of the movie, which is, this is true too. One of the women asks, and they scrawl at the beginning of the movie on a wall, who killed the world? 
Well, it's not the women that did it. Mm. And that was Evansler's point in Necessary Targets was that women become necessary targets in war. They're not the ones that start it. They're not the, you know, but they become the victims because one of the things that they do is that they're the ones who will inspire to rebuild and keep the, and, and try to repair the broken men psychologically as well. And um, that's kind of what's going on is Furiosa is stealing the brides, the the brides who are the, you know, the, the, at one point they call them breeders. His breeding stock uh-huh. has been stolen. And it's just, and yet, and it sounds like this is a very complex plot. It is, and it's told almost completely without dialogue, and it's told almost completely in chase scene. Interesting. Chase scene that goes on for 20 minutes, stops, a little bit of reflection, character building that's almost almost pantomime. And then it's another chase scene, and then it's just action, 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 almost all done live. The CG is done to remove wires, and so it's proving, and and I want to say too, this director, George Miller, is 70 years old, and like we've just seen, Ridley Scott kind of has lost it. I've not enjoyed This is, but this movie is like, this may be the best movie of his career. Uh And there's a guy at the top of his game. And it's and it's a movie you have to watch again and go like did I catch that did I catch and now I want to go back and watch the original trilogy because I watched the originals. And well, went, this is this is what I, I there are two points that I wanted to bring up because yeah. you've, you've touched on both these. One, I believe in in Beyond Thunderdome, there is more or less uh, a reveal that it was an atomic exchange because when he's telling the stories. But I will say this is not necessarily in the same universe. This could be a reboot. This is just sort of there's yeah. enough. You don't need to have seen the original trilogy. Yeah. It is. But you, you talk about. Yeah, I, I just wanted yeah. to note that you talk about the um, you talk about the lack of dialogue, which I think harkens back to elements not Thunderdome so much, but the first two films were were much lower in dialogue and specifically um the road warrior what does it for me in that movie is with he doesn't there's a lot of him walking along and mm-hmm. fixing things and and people staring at each other yeah. and all this the music in that is overlooked and splendid oh the music in this is fantastic yeah and i think that's, that that makes up a lot for and lack of dialogue at some points this movie almost becomes operatic yeah in the way the score just fills in the emotion and then you've got these heavy metal i mean there's this guy I, there's a tank or a I've truck seen the picture. where the guy's like playing he's just doing electric guitar and it becomes a weapon at one point and it's just again he's like on the front of the truck yeah. in front of all the speakers and i could totally i could you know i could totally, i mean because like the vikings did they had the drummers yeah. you had the horns you had the music whipping people forward and yeah. it's used so so dramatically um and it was just, uh, you know, there's a reason why one of the things that the dialogue kind of dropped out. One, it's pure cinema. It really is pure cinema. Story, you know, you have to go with what cinema was originally. It's moving pictures. Are they telling the story? Sylvester Stallone once said the perfect screenplay would have one line, of, one word of dialogue in it. And I thought, well, that's because that's all you could pronounce. <laughs> but, Yo. then, but then I got what he was saying is truly because it is about the yeah. imagery. Yeah. And that's what that art form is best at. If you could, the, the, the tighter the dialogue, the more you can really paint. And the oh, cinematography yeah. in this is fantastic. But one of the reasons, like in Mad Max, was Mad Max, when it was released in America, was completely redubbed. 
because it was in an Australian dialect mm. that was so thick that uh, and and so slangy that and there's a little bit of that here in Fury Road that it was deemed impenetrable by executives here. Oh. So they redubbed. I, I think uh, that uh, Mel Gibson was allowed to dub Redo himself because he, had a, he did have an American accent, uh, obviously, um, being born in America, but uh, that he, uh, he was the only one. So, um, you know, when he wants it, when they want the Road Warrior or Mad Max 2 to be more international, it becomes to pull back a lot on the dialogue. But also that communication is not the most important thing to these people. And that's yeah. what, you know, yeah. it's survival at it, at its true. I was thinking a lot, uh, talking to a friend today, comparing it to, like, when you go back to the the Charlton Heston, uh, is it a trilogy of, yes, uh, a trilogy of dystopias, right. Planet of the Apes, Omega Man, and... Soylent uh, Green. That's why I was going to say make room, make room. Uh, Soylent Green, that's the novel. Right. I just got super geeky, pretentious in one of the Harry few... Harry Harris. In one of the few eras I can because I have read it. Okay. Um, but, you know, and, and, and if you watch the Omega Man, if you get it with the extras, there was a there was a studio docu- a little short subject uh, promotional film that brought in the anthropologist Robert Ardry, and that's when it clicked for me that, oh, Charlton Heston totally, and then I read an article like just a couple months ago reiterating that, that Heston had so little faith in mankind, loved people, was very mm-hmm. friendly, very kind, but really, really believed in what Ardry's theories of the breakdown of society, of uh, uh, you know, a primitive man and who we basically are. And that's what I thought was being argued in Fury Road. It is the most intellectual action movie you will certainly see this summer. But the thing, and we've seen all seen Age of Ultron, I think it's fair to say spoilers, that one thing that nobody's talking about in Age of Ultron that, again, made me disturbed in watching Fury Road is Age of Ultron, that's not subtext. It's out there that even the vision agrees. Right. We're doomed. That mankind is almost at an end. This it is actually no one's mentioning that this Marvel blockbuster is a pessimistic film that ultimately agrees with Ultron. We're about at the end of the run. And Fury Road is about what happens after that run has ended. Mm. And of all the post-apocalyptic films, I think this is why I probably hadn't gone back to the Mad Max films. They bothered me a little bit the first mm-hmm. time around is because when you see a post-apocalyptic film, it's usually so removed. We don't know what happened. It's so distant. This culture is different. It's like it's been a, a long time. Uh, Book of Eli was post-apocalyptic. and was even yeah. like it was such a lame explanation for what had happened. But again, the layman wouldn't know. But there's still this pocket of, oh, civilization's been saved over here. Mad Max doesn't offer you that. It is individual redemption. It is the only hope that we have. And you can't distance if Matt, if Max himself exists, existed at a time before it all happened. And that there are all these people, although it's it, it's oddly played out because Furiosa doesn't remember a time before and they're similar in age uh-huh. you know she doesn't remember a time but the villain Immortan Joe clearly has to yet I think that one of the things too is Max is almost like a myth he is all he is like the new mythological hero of what little is left of society 
Yeah, well, that's he was the Walker or something. Yeah, he he was Walker because that was Captain Walker beyond Thunderdome. But again, those things don't count. He is haunted from the very beginning. He has a little voiceover that says, like, you know, he failed somebody. And he keeps having this flash of this kid that he failed who said, come back, Max, come back. Could be his child, yeah. could be the feral child from the second one, or could be one of the th- one of the kids from the plane in the third one. Yeah, it's it's really it's per- ambiguous. It's really it's ambiguous because it's not Mel Gibson, right? You know, which originally it was going to be, but they took too long in developing it, and um, and that was you know, so um, you know, I was thinking about about dialogue in those movies too, and the ones that have the most dialogue are typically. Almost comic relief. Yeah. So you have the flyer in. in I don't think that Road this Warrior. movie is funny in, in the least. Um, there were moments where you kind of, it was almost like a nervous, oh, thank God I can giggle at something. Yeah. Um, but it's unrelenting. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't take a kid. I, I, I believe it's rated R. I wouldn't take a kid. For gosh sakes, don't. I mean, okay. the violence is just so intense, but it is it, it is a very satisfying thought-provoking action film that is it's just not far enough removed to you you can't be comfortable watching it we should move on to something lighter we should make us happy supergirl that sounds great television let's talk television wait a minute that's a dc property that can't be happy and light oh it can be because what happens is they're doing television right so oh we saw this week they released three trailers for My new God, series what a week what a week um and all three of them looked fun even though one shouldn't have been right um let's start with actually in the order that they came out they first fox released lucifer which um just like it's you know it's enough like what neil gaiman and then mike carey set up in the vertigo series uh both sandman and then lucifer's own book uh at least in its premise and then it's going to take off its thing to allow it to be a serialized television show um it's a cop pairing. You know, I've yeah. never read the original. Well, you've read The Sandman. I've read The Sandman, but I haven't read the Lucifer series. Well, in, in The Sandman, he Neil Gaiman did set up the idea that he had moved to L.A. and opened a nightclub. Yeah. Lux. Yeah. I've read that. Yeah. But, I, I mean. Yeah. And so that's where it really takes off. Mike Carey ran with it. And I wanted to give Mike Carey credit in the I article. think I should try and read it before the show comes out? I don't think it's going to have anything to do with it. Okay. I, I think what Mike Carey did was very logical for who Lucifer when you look at his biblical origins, which aren't really there, it's all you know. The, this, the truth of the matter is, most of 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 the fallen angel the, stuff. the common knowledge of Lucifer is all stuff that people added. It's not in the uh, it's in writings about the Bible, hmm. it, and it's become the mythology around. And that, that's it's not even apocrypha. This is the difference that people that what people think they know. Uh, and I'm, I'm not dismissing any of it, and if, if this is the way you like it, but what's actually in the Old Testament, the New Testament, very little uh, of that of what people think they know about Lucifer is is there. It's a you know it's a story created by others, and then retroactively, it's retconned in, uh, you know. So in this, yeah, he's turned his back on hell. He's turned his back on heaven. And he just wants to run a nightclub and be cool. And he makes people say the truth. He doesn't need a golden lasso. He just needs his wicked smile and maybe a, a, a nice little piano lounge, uh, you know, tinkling on the ivories. 
And he's somehow, because of a close friend gets murdered in his arms, he's determined to start using his powers only for good. But he's Lucifer, so that's not going to go well. And then the forces of hell are trying to get him back in. That's very clear from a three-and-a-half-minute trailer. I'm impressed. Um, it looks fun. It looks, some people said, Constantine done right. Well, no, Constantine started being right, but it is awfully close in its imagery um, and, and attitude. But because it's Lucifer, I think people are willing to believe more of the anti-hero. The problem with Constantine has always been, if you watch those 13 episodes, they're always trying to make him heartwarming somehow, which is counter to who Constantine really is. It's an awkward fit. But if it's the devil just trying to do good, hey, you know, I'm like, okay, that's fine. Then the next day, CBS says, oh, yeah? <laughs> well, we've got a superhero show. And they release a six-and-a-half-minute trailer for Supergirl that is, like, all the greatest moments of the pilot going to condense down. I mean, I'm sure there's details. It's got to be missing. more than just the pilot. It's, I mean, No, I think that's all the pilot. It's all just the pilot? That's all the pilot. Because as far as what I know I, or what I've read is that's all that's been shot. Okay. That's all the pilot. Well, they had a couple of flash scenes at the end that looked like they were coming from other episodes. They might be ready for yeah, you know, okay. they, but uh, I think that's it. I mean, because if she doesn't have the right cape by the end of the of the first episode, come on. Um, but as much as people have criticized that it's always oh, it's just like the SNL Black Widow sketch, it's not. Well, I saw some of it, but again, had a discussion about this today. It's like. In the bubble that I am in, and that's my big phrase, I know, and someday somebody's going to write in and just go, would you stop talking about the bubble? Yeah. But we are all in bubbles. And what I'm seeing is everybody, here's what's gone wrong with the popular culture, is we've got so many channels offering so many things. This is sort of like jelly at the at the grocery store. So many different flavors, so many different specific flavors that everybody's convinced now that the program they want to see or the version of Supergirl they get should be the one exactly the one they want. And so right. that's the criticism I'm seeing in. I'm like, all right, you know what? Yes, it is like that SNL Black Widow. Because part of the problem is Black Widow is Black Widow. The joke in that is you can't fit her into the right. rom-com kind right, of thing. Right, right, right. Okay? Because she's a deadly assassin trained by the remnants of the Soviet Union. Yes. Um, that character shouldn't work for a fashion magazine. Well, that's what makes it funny. Yeah, right. right. The twist. But when you put that on Supergirl and you say, look, if she's trying to keep her power secret for reasons I do not yet know, and she wants a job to to follow, she's going to work for a powerful magazine, Cat Grant, I was really impressed. Ali uh, McBeal, Calista Flockhart, um, you know, and as you noted on, on my Facebook page, like did a takedown of what's wrong with girl. Yeah. You know, a great defense there in that film. I'm like, you're right. And then it's, and she should turn to the camera and say, and I'm married to Han Solo, <laughs> biatch. You know? Right, right, right. <laughs> and, so take uh, it up with me. So take you know, please. I know what I'm talking about. But um, just to say, that does sort of fit who that character is. But the other thing I want to say is that's that show's going to be on Mondays at 8. And from what I can see from that trailer, and granted, that's not the whole pilot. And maybe there's something that's going to make me change my mind. That show is not aimed at me, but it is going to be aimed at the me who in the perfect world, and it's it's not a perfect world, but in the perfect world, I'm home with my, say, 12-year-old daughter. She's not yes. 12 now, but that show comes on, 
and I can watch that without fear. We can share a strong superheroine mm-hmm. as a family at eight o'clock on Monday night, and it's almost like, and it's CBS, so you know it's going to be tamer anyway. Except their sitcoms get a little dirty because of the Chuck Lorre thing, but it, but. It's a family. It looks like a family yeah. adventure. Exactly. And I will say. Or a family think, friendly adventure. I think that is aimed at me because I'm open minded and looking for diversity in my, in my, in the show now more than ever because there are now there are so many superhero mm-hmm. shows and, and movies and the Netflix stuff. And if they're all just agonizing in the dark over their powers and responsibilities i'm going to be bored out of my skull but they and, and they the, have and i have to tell you i some of my favorite shows have been like going back to what was the one that um that blair butler did um i mean fringe no um oh molly brown molly brown um and i i love callista flockhart and ally McBeal. I mean, I, I will I will watch that stuff. It doesn't have to be a show about me to be interesting. Right. I, I love Donnie McBeal. But of course, I love Robert, Robert Downey Jr. And Alan that McBeal. was great, too. But um, <laughs> that's funny because at one point, <laughs> I'm back in Howard the Duck. That's he uses a code name. He's like, this is Downey Jr. And I'm like, that pun works on two levels. Yes. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, I, I thought that, you know, is that. This is what we cry out for. Um, like I said, it's it's aimed at you, diverse, but it's not aimed at you. The fact that you're caught up in it, that's great. Yeah. But because there are shows that are supposedly aimed at us, there are plenty, and they have usually initials in the title CSI and CIS. Uh, well, that's named, that's aimed at my demographic, not I, my personality. Well, but that's what I'm saying. They, they can't aim at your personality. They, they're only aiming at demographics. The demographic they're trying to capture with Supergirl is a, is a demographic that has been underserved. Mm-hmm. And that as much as I love watching uh, The Flash with my kid, there's occasionally something a little... Mm, about yeah. the Flash, uh, Daredevil definitely. Shield even got iffy, Arrow. and I and I'd hope for that. And well, Arrow we stopped, and I have to catch up on Arrow. That's a summer project now. Yeah. Um. But that's one that at the time I couldn't share with my son. He's older now. We're okay, but you know, but I and, and like I said, and my daughter, I'm sure she, I know she's watching these shows and, and enjoying them. I just don't get to share it with them. But I would love to have, you know, seen Supergirl. To be able to sit down and watch it, and I, and I saw Luke today, and he said that yeah, we watched Supergirl. It was great. We, you know, we watched that that trailer. Is it good? So then the third one, I said, you know, well, did you get to watch this? He goes, no. I said, well, when you go home, you watch this now. DC's uh, Legends, Legends of Tomorrow, Tomorrow, which last week I said I don't like the DC in the title, and then I realized your reasoning was both right, and there's another reason why it has to be there. Because Agents of Shield isn't Agents of Shield, it's Marvel's, Marvel's Agents, Agents of, of Shield. Shield. So you did have to do. Yeah. I, but I keep forgetting the Marvels part because I'm like, I know, and it's like, I don't, I don't want to see that. They not only it's not only the show, but it's it's announced mm-hmm. when the, uh, which you know in England they had to do that with Avengers. It's Marvel's, yeah, Marvel's Avengers, Avengers because of the other Avengers show. Um, so Legends of Tomorrow had a trailer come out today, and that too. Looks just delicious. Um, it looks nuts. It looks fun. You've got Hot Girl, and you did Martin Stein's voiceover that even says she's a reincarnation. She's got the wings. I'm like, okay, so you're going to go with the classic Hot Girl sound. Fantastic. Yeah. White Canary, I'm not caught up. I don't know. Some people were like, whoa, you know. Uh, there's nothing to be. I, 
don't think there's anything. Or actually, but I'm fine I mean, with that. There's some no. question about what's going on with Ronnie because they have not credited, they've not released, at least in the pilot cast, Robbie Amell is not in there. They mentioned Firestorm, but they didn't show him. And Weinstein says... Did I read in one of our threads that there may be a contractual thing? Uh, I, I posited that might okay. be. I don't know what the situation is. Okay. Uh, I don't mean to start a rumor. I have no idea. That was just a, that was just my spitballing. Like, that's the only thing I can think of is why isn't he there? Yeah. In which case, I think I, re- I wrote that in the article. Then, Stephen, sit down with your cousin and tell him yeah. he has an obligation. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, Stein and Robbie don't get along a lot, in, at least in the – for, right for and so series. and so that so, makes sense and uh that uh, stein may have been recruited and robbie will just have to come along well, eventually fire hits called maybe yeah and and that you have uh a sort of a justification for captain cold and heat wave um that because they are all tied together by rip hunter who knows no this is the team that i know and that even can't said, I'm a time master. How great was it to see Arthur Darf? And he's again? like the sci-fi version of Constantine. It yeah. was like, you know, boom. Uh, and then facial hair on him. And, like, that, and they set up and say it's that Vandal Savage is the villain. They, I don't think they've cast a Vandal Savage. So they just have an outline, a yeah. shadow there. But that it's like, boom, there's the mortal. He's thousands of years old. Green We're Arrow knows about it. through time. You know, I'm like, that is just... That's nuts. And you got the Atom, who apparently is shrinking. I didn't see it last night. I got to watch the Arrow. I'm going to jump to the season three finale of Arrow because apparently, for the first time, uh, Ray Palmer shrank. I saw him. Uh, no, he does. I thought he did it in the. Um, he keeps talking the about the trailer. Mini- he he does in the trailer. Yeah. But he keeps talking about miniaturization. And I think last night on Arrow in the season finale, oh, okay. he did. He did. Uh, so they keep talking about miniaturization. So I'm looking forward to all that. And that and that show just looks. Nuts. I like that they gave him a, a they gave him a established he has a jetpack before the miniaturization. So yeah. it gets around because I thought it was first when he shrunk and then he starts running. I'm like, oh, this is just funny. Because he's going to take a half an hour to run across the room now, and yeah. then he takes, then he shoots off yeah. with the jetpack. Because he's had the jetpack, he's used it in Flash, he's used it in Arrow, and I mean, because he's essentially been Iron Man so far. So, which reminds me, of the one thing you didn't mention about Supergirl it was the uh, the greatest American hero. Uh, I'm getting used to my powers, oh, kind of yeah. thing, which is going to be comedy gold. I yeah, I mean, well, I I don't want to play it for laughs. I want to. I just want to see because I it, look. And I say this being friends with a guy. One of the things that I didn't like about the Grand American Hero as a kid was at some point, Ralph was he smarter should, than that. Yeah. He should have mastered should have flying. Yeah. You know, but it was a funny bit. So I, I don't think, I think it's more like, well, she's just never, because when she does the, look, I'm Supergirl and, and falls, falls back. backwards, she's in control. Right. So I think that's, she's going to get, a hold I of think it. it's going to be fast because it should be a fast learning curve. Uh, you know, but, uh, and then you got to, you know, it's the, all spinning off of Flash and Arrow and Flash this week was just, again, another fantastic uh, with, and there's an interesting thing with Captain Cold, as you pointed out, anything that gets Wentworth Miller. And I was reminded again this week, I'm just like, my God, he's just captivating yeah. as as Leonard Snart. And the whole thing with, with his sister, with Lisa playing Cisco, I want a nickname. Give me <laughs> one. And I'm like, uh, my favorite line of the week was Cisco saying, I really really regret being a good guy today <laughs> you know it's really hard um it's just what a great show and then we had our shield finale so um season finale not a finale of shield 
No, because it's coming back for a third season. Yes, as is Agent Carter, as we broke last week, right? Yeah. Uh, oh, I should say one other thing about Constantine, because I mentioned it is, I don't think it got did got saved, but at one point, one of the uh, this week, it was announced that one of the possibilities to save it, NBC passed on it, uh, was that the CW might pick it up. Hmm. And I want to say again, Warner Brothers, because I know you can say this to DC, and it's not DC's fault. I mean, as much as we're like, yeah, the TV shows are going great, that's not, other than Jeff Johns getting to be in the office, that's not DiDio, it's not Paul Levitz, it's not any great creator you know, that's really influencing television. It is a producer, uh, Guggenheim and uh, Andrew Kreisberg, a couple of producers that really have a vision and that that vision is in line. I mean, cause they do work writing comics as well. That vision is in line with, with what, who the characters are. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that I just want to want to say, so Stephen Amell said, if it will help, I will guest star on Constantine. So even though it's a different creative team, producing team, it's like, no, automatically it says if you bring it to the tw if you put it on netflix if this will save constantine arrow can be on constantine and that's going back to the fact that he's the robert downey jr for the dc universe and and it's and it's certainly not what they intended you know yeah. i mean it just there's a guy again i would just like to meet him in a line uh, a line and shake his hand and say thanks thanks for giving a damn about it you yeah. know he clearly does and he has fun being the hero you know, and, and I mean, I see a lot of car- a lot of actors. You see, you know, Chris Evans is similar. Chris Pratt is that way, because you know who Chris Pratt was before Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. and who Chris Pratt is at least making his persona be now. There were interviews even as Guardians was opening about like how he didn't give a you know, and you don't hear those interviews anymore. No. He gets his responsibility, and Stephen Amell gets. His, you know, to an extent, his responsibility. I mean, that makes it sound too heavy. So accessible to the fans. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. So over the top. Absolutely, you know, great. And then so is Clark Gregg on Shield. Would you say that? So Shield has its finale. So did you watch it? I did watch both episodes last night. Um, some great twists. I was so glad finally he's revealed. uh, Cal is revealed as Mister Hyde. Yeah, and it was a good reveal too. Oh, and, and. and he was so good. Kyle MacLachlan was just so good in the role, playing both the comedy and the absolute tragedy of it. And yes. that's what, I mean, that was the best moment, breaking my heart, spoilers, of the mind wipe and seeing the best of who he could be. Right. But before that, even saying, you know, when Sky says, Daisy says, I'm going to just call her Daisy for, for private reasons, uh, you know, that, that he says, uh, you know, she says, best day ever. And he says, no. July July second, nineteen eighty eight. That was the best day ever, and I was just like, "Okay, you got my attention." And then you said it with just the right the smile of Kyle of of Calvin trying to be the best, put a smile on everything. Yeah, but the utter heartbreak, and that's what I've loved about what they when he first appeared, they really weren't doing well. He was just crazy no. guy searching yeah, for yeah. his daughter, but as they revealed more truths, and you can see he's been playing that pain of like. He's got the most, sadly, reasonable reason to be a supervillain, which is I'm just trying to save my, my family. family. Yeah, and a guy, and 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 the, that's been some of the best work for that actress. I always forget her real name, but who plays Sky slash Daisy, of dealing with him of like, 
you know, when she finally had that confrontation, I said, I'm not the little girl. You, you're not going to get me back at eight. Yeah. All those things, you know, and just seeing him collapse under the emotionally under that weight. And then the arguments that Colson makes with him is like, you know, yes, you're right. His wife has been this manipulator and not who we thought at all. Um, you know, I don't know that her turn was played any particularly differently. Like, but then I don't know that a villain, a real one, would be. Yeah. It would be like you know, suddenly become mwahaha. It it was it it was rather underplayed as a turn, whereas he's so overplayed. You know, um, well, she played. I mean, she played the damaged goods bit pretty good. Yeah, she was the one who was taken apart, and then he brought her back. And the revelation it. that she takes life force is how she's been. So yeah. you know, yeah. that was quite a oh. Uh, um, you know, and it's, and it's a lot of wiping the slate clean, which I, I agree needed to happen because I've said this before. This TV version of the Inhumans cannot be Adelan. You know, they're so low rent. Sorry, but it's true compared to what I expect to see out of Black movie. Bolt, Medusa, yeah. Gorgon, Triton, whoever they use, Karnak. You know, um, so they they cleared those players off the table. And I thought that was good. And then whatever was happening there at that last cliffhanger for the summer, okay, you have my attention. I wish that more of S.H.I.E.L.D. did that. And the same thing happened last year is you have a lot of kind of placeholder episodes, blah, blah, blah. And then, I think it was the same thing. They they had to hold on. And then them. a whole crap ton of stuff. They didn't have to this year because really I still say – you could have almost gotten away with almost no reference to Age of Ultron whatsoever, and it wouldn't have changed any of the plotting of Shield. I agree with you entirely. I think it was a it was a studio thing where they said, "No, yeah. you got to this is this yeah. is this is the week you can do this, and you got to yeah. be building up to that." And yeah. so, don't do too much else before then. Yeah, and and I think that's because I would I think uh, I realized that it, it's I would rather see do a Sherlock on it. And say like four or five shield shield two hour movies and just like Agent Carter, eight episodes. Well then Shield has one eight episode arc. Agent Carter steps in for eight weeks. Yeah. And then another eight episode arc or twelve if you have to. But mini seasons instead and really treat it that way and, and let it be more compact and compressed and go. Yeah, I don't know. I've dealt I've had to deal with some friends who really hate the show and and Nearly, I mean, I know. And then there's, and, and, and here's my overall thing again is like, I, and maybe it's just age and mellowness or, yeah. or just fear of other things. It's like, I want you to take a look around. We have a crumbling infrastructure. Uh, we have um, war on the horizon in a couple of different places. The fact that S.H.I.E.L.D. isn't the show you wanted it to be, then don't watch and calm down. Yeah. Um, but it's not the, the fact that it's not the show you don't want it to be, and it, the fact that it's not like getting a Marvel movie every week doesn't make it bad. No, and no. it's 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 better than a lot. Um, better than most of the stuff out there that I could be watching. Well, but I would say like you know somebody was asking me about watching Daredevil, and I finally finished the whole thing. Yeah, I went even Daredevil is a thing where five episodes you really should watch. They were very satisfying. A lot of them were just treading water, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, and, 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 and yeah, I, I, I lost my excitement for it. And I think the other thing is with binge watching, you suddenly notice a lot of flaws that you might not if you were watching weekly. And I noticed that so, when I, I'm still watching through it. I'm taking it real slow. I don't think you, I think I wish I could have. Yeah. I wish I did because it's like, I realized that when I watched, 
uh, when I would get season packs of Smallville, the last couple of seasons of Smallville, I had fallen behind. So I just like watched them all in a weekend, a whole season. And that's when the flaws or the nature of being of weekly television, when you stack it up, starts really getting there. Getting paid up with Daredevil. I think it is that if you're watching it all at once, you start noticing the almost flaws in the acting. Mm-hmm. What is really cute at first, or oh, that's daring, suddenly becomes like Vincent D'Onofrio. I'm just gonna. It's not a spoiler. I'm just gonna ruin it. Um, and not a plot thing, but his character. When you first see the Kingpin, it's like that's really great. But then when you watch a bunch of King of his performances, Kingpin at the end, you start realizing he's still. And I forgot what the other rhythm. It's two voices combined. Um, but one is um, Edgar the Bug, who he played in Men in Black. Mm. And you start realizing that's all he's doing is he's got the rhythms of. Uh, of two other roles he's played, he's sort of combined together, and it's just interesting. Uh, and See, I hadn't, I hadn't picked up on that at all, and I was no, actually going. No, but 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 it, it only occurred to me because I was watching them back right, to back right, and right. going, "Who is he?" And I'd just been so impressed with, especially the episode with with his origin in it. But I can't let my son watch that. No, you can't. And, and he and I talked about it because the other thing is the kid who plays young Wilson Fisk is uh, the star of a Disney show called Crash and Bernstein. And which is a really fun show and one of Luke's favorites. And so we've watched a lot of the episodes and then I'm watching Daredevil going, who is that? <gasps> yeah, we can't watch that one, <laughs> you know, because not only is it hyper violent, right. but it's also a kid who is a, a Disney star. Yeah. And so that was and, weird. And, and family damage that turns him into the monster that he is. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, and, but it is, that is one of the episodes I'd say is crucial to the series. Mm-hmm. I'd say probably the first two of the, that one. The stick episode. The stick episode. Um, there's one where he sets up getting the costume. The encounter with Melvin Potter was a scene that could have easily been folded into something else. Mm. And, but it was very much worth it. The characterization was really well done. And then the last episode where he finally gets the red suit. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, I mean, that's the problem with 13 episodes and then he gets the red suit. You know, it was like that, that could have been compressed down yeah. quite a bit. Um, you know, and we'll see. AKA Jack's Jessica Jones may do something a little faster. I don't know. Um, I, cause I don't think they're even finished filming that yet. And, you know, I think Daredevil is going to be worth the second series. I think all of you know, like Shield's worth it. It's just that there are so many throwaways to me. Yeah. And I have a friend who binge watch, who watched Shield like in three days, season one. He goes, oh, it plays so much better. Yes, Lewis Stone Cologne, I'm talking about you, who said it played really well. And we, we discussed it today and said like, well, the thing is that when you binge watch, you can also, when there's a bad episode, you just power to the next one right. and then it gets good again and you're fine. But when you're watching on a weekly basis – it's risky to lose like three or four mm-hmm. episodes in a row that are just, oh my God, it's time killing. Is what's going to, you know, you're going to give up. It's a joke on <laughs> Big Bang Theory of all things. But uh, but Sheldon says that. It's like he asked a question, should I start watching The Flash? There's only f- the flaw in it is, of course, he was watching The Flash because The Flash has been like one of their favorite characters since season one. Right. But, you know, his arguments are, it's like, you know, is it a good time commitment? I'm like, yeah, actually, The Flash is a really good. There are very few to me throwaway episodes where I was like that was just churning water um, but his argument I was like why we know that we totally get that pain is he says it's not just a commitment to watching it now 
it's a watching it too to the bitter end long past the point that I actually care about it. <laughs> and I went, why, yes, yes, only you mean Flash Gordon. <laughs> um, no, who did get redemption this week if you watch that little animated thing I posted on Fanboy Planet? I haven't watched it yet. Well, the guy who played Flash Gordon on the sci-fi series is Flash Gordon in that as well. Oh, okay. And it's like, hey, you know, I'm, I no longer hold actors responsible. Sure, it's bad sure. production. Nobody, no actor said, you know what's a good idea? Yeah. Eric Johnson, I think, is his name, and and it has the actual the guy who play, the first guy who played Superboy in the series is Ming, and then uh, my friend Joe White is uh, is Zarkov. So that's how I discovered it was he had posted it, and I went, oh, Joe, you did this, cool, and um, and then I watched it, and it's just a beautiful little you know very condensed version of the second chapter of the serial, and so cool little animated thing. Um, we have one game thing, and uh, just to to say, and I'm suddenly realizing why Infinity 2.0 keeps having amazing sales on their figures and their uh, discs and everything. I think Toys R Us again went for like two bucks a piece for bags of discs this week. There were two for the price of one this week. I got an ad saying maybe because I have the the membership that it was going to be three for six. Hmm. So. Um, but I didn't have a chance to run down there because I still don't even know what I need, you know. But um, three for six was a couple weekends ago. Maybe I got an old ad. Yeah. And, it, and no matter what, at the time of this podcast listening, right? It's it, that sales over. over. But there were great sales last week. What I didn't even realize. So GameStop advertised like you know, uh, figures were eight to ten dollars, and uh, depending on which one it was, because like the Disney ones sell for a little less than ten to be even bigger price break than the Marvel characters because the Marvel characters are still more popular. But by lowering the price, you're competing with that impending Lego Dimensions, which is even starting at 100 bucks, Right. And 3.0 is going to be 65 And uh, oh, And last week, Target had them down for $6 to $8 a figure. So, good Lord. Yeah. Um, anyway, I realized that one of it is that they're trying to really get people hooked in before Lego Dimensions. Um and yet I walked into GameStop and they were pushing hard to get me, do you want to pre-order Lego Dimensions? Do you want to pre-order Disney Infinity 3.0? And I'm like, look, I'm probably going to. Roll up your sleeve. But I'm not going to do it in Gilroy because I, yeah. you know, I'm going to do it close to my own home. But I might pick it up. I might pre-order it here for my kid. So you can pick it up. I don't think, I, you know, we're going to have to choose one and then one of the other is going to be for Christmas. Um, luckily, he doesn't listen to the podcast, so he doesn't know that's my plan. Um, <laughs> don't tell him. But the thing with Dimensions is a couple leaked and then were taken down. Uh-huh. Did you see what they were this uh-uh. week? I'll look at your notes. Portal 2 huh. is one set. Well, that's interesting. And that's okay. I mean, that's interesting. But the one that I went, yeah. I, I said a four-letter word out loud because I'm like, there's no resisting now. Like, I could, it was hard enough with the DC Universe. Doctor Who. Capaldi, the TARDIS, and K9. Yeah. So, but then the beauty of it is, if you don't play the game, you could just buy the set, build it, and, put it and on have the it on the shelf. Just like you can do with the figures in Disney Infinity. Mm-hmm. But but the thought that, especially in America, I think we in the, in the U.S., we, are, we have been starved for a good Doctor Who video game. The Doomsday Clock eventually showed up on the PS network. Uh-huh. It was announced a while and it was played but 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 most is this the same one as you can play on the PC. 
Uh, the one with River Song. Do you? No, there's one with. Um, I have those those PC games too. David Tennant and uh, yes, I have those. They're they're, they're smaller. Uh, yeah, uh, not David. They're Tennant. adventure it's style Smith. games. It's Matt Smith and it's Andy. Matt Smith. Okay. Yes, uh, against the Daleks and against their adventure right, style games. Right. They're shorter. They're smaller. And then there's a, P- a PS3 game called the Doomsday Clock that had been announced. It got released in the in in the UK. And then it showed up on the PS Network, and so I downloaded it. And they're not great games either. They're yeah. okay, yeah. but they're not particularly responsive. And we know I'm not the greatest gamer in the world, but I but I can tell when a game is poorly as yeah, as poorly thought out. Some of the, of the play. Yeah. And my daughter, in particular, she plays through a lot of these things, and and she's good. And when I hear her getting frustrated, and that's was happening with Doomsday Clock. So we haven't been privy to a lot of great doctor who gaming well we'll have to see if the lego stuff is different because it uh, just because it's a good it has good characters and it doesn't mean the that's true the game's going to be responsive even when you talk about portal what makes portal work is yeah. the magnificent physics engine in that game i don't know if that's going to do it i think that the advantage that the thing that will be the advantage for all of for lego dimensions the interest in the first place is that all the Lego games are fun to play. Uh-huh. Um, I'm in the midst of, I'm now I'm going completely out of order, but doing Lego Batman three, because Luke and I started playing it and went, I'm going to see if I can work some of this out on my own, uh, Lego Marvel superheroes as well. They're fun. Even if, even if they're challenging and maybe not the most responsive, it's sometimes fun to just be able to play with those characters. Now, if you can get into a free... We still don't know a lot of Le- about how the LEGO Dimensions gameplay is supposed to work because the packs say, like Back to the Future on the Amazon link says, it's um, a level pack. So they're not treat... It doesn't sound like they're treating it like mm. a separate game the way that Infinity does. Yeah. So it's almost like you're building this entire world that connects and and then you can use whatever character's in. And that's it. If you can put the Doctor, which or a lot of people that want to do it um you know if you're going to put the doc you can have the doctor and batman team up you even though the, the, the lego rings. versions and gandalf meets meets the doctor yeah k9 meets toto because you've got <laughs> wizard of oz they're not really playing up that but the wizard of oz is in there this yeah, yeah. you know i think this is coming down to two consoles are going to be warring for every franchise because you've got marvel disney star wars on one side you've and lego which is Warner Brothers basically is locking up all these other franchises. I'm surprised. I mean, well, we've talked about this. The doc, that Doctor Who is a strange beast right now in that BBC America has some sort of, I don't know all the details, but I know because of who releases the press releases on the home video is there is some connection between BBC America and Warner that Warner right. does the distribution. Right. I know this, but you don't go into like the Warner studio store, which by the way, here is going to the Warner studio this summer is getting in a, uh, some more Batmobiles and they're putting in some Batman V Superman stuff. They're freshening up their Batman uh-huh. exhibit. I'm going to say right now though, that is not, you better want to see the rest of the studio because it's not enough to, to warrant the price that they charge for it. Yeah. Um, but it's cool, and you see the mystery machine too. But anyway, uh, you know, there's not a, there's not Doctor Who stuff at that Warner store. Um, I think that I think online there is, but even that's not being run by Warner Brothers anymore. So if Doctor Who show, stuff shows up, it's a separate thing. 
Disney's making a slight play in that the 10th Doctor, Tenant, is showing up on Disney XD. So they've got the rights to broadcast all those episodes. I did not know. That. It's starting. It's starting in like three weeks. And Luke, actually, I knew it was happening. Luke brought it up to me this week and said, "Dad, did you know that Doctor Who's going to be on Disney XD?" So they're definitely positioning Doctor Who for Disney fans, and they've run programming from other studios, and you know, so it's not necessarily mm-hmm. a sign, but it does tell me that. You know, we've talked about it before. I think Disney would love to get its hands on it. I would like to, I, I, I don't think that it's for sale. Again, what I say now is not based on any inside knowledge, it's just supposition. But uh, I'd, like, I'd like to think it's not for sale. But, you know, they just said this. I mean, the things you have to track is last week's parliamentary elections in England and the UKIP party, which I don't, it's very far right. I don't know much uh, about them beyond that. But they had a quote that basically they were going to shut down all BBC's fiction programming. And so, and I've known this has happened for a long time, that one of the reasons, um, like we got multicolored Daleks, is because Doctor Who toys go a long way to keeping, to funding a lot of BBC shows. Um, So licensing is very important to them. And there's a lot of political movement because British television doesn't quite work the same way that American television does that, you You pay a yearly uh, fee for for BBC. Right. So that's where that fee goes. But then there's like Sky TV and ITV and, um, it's not Fred. What is there? There's a weird, there's a, a man's name for one, uh, one network that started up there. Maybe it is Fred. Yeah, I think if you had told me Fred, I would have said, yeah. It's fine. I, uh, we didn't spend a lot of time watching TV, but... No, when I was there, too, I would watch a news program in the morning to go, I'm watching the BBC on the BBC. Well, Yay. Their, their, their game shows are the best. Yeah, I would watch QI at night, and, and never mind the Buzzcocks once or twice, because I only had, like, what, I eight or nine nights there. But I, I didn't get a lot of sleep, because I spent a lot of time watching late night television just for the sake of being I'm watching British television in in Great Britain mm-hmm. it's fantastic um, this must be what it's like but anyway you know I know that Doctor Who has despite its perceived success there are still a lot of people that would like to kill it mm-hmm. um, and so as long as it's dependent on almost literally on kind of a government licensing fee it could be a, a project that's up for sale you know, and I and I think that Disney's possibly, you know, trying to put a foot in the door there and say, because, you know, again, you you go to Disneyland and you see a lot of a lot of crossover T-shirts, people wearing, you know, um, I can't remember the name of that artist, and she's at Comic Con, and I and I always want to buy a print, but it's like, where would I put a print of um, uh, the one that does the Disney princesses crossed over with the doctors? And I, I bought my daughter a bag that oh. had the image of like Ariel being lured by right. by David Tennant's hand out and of the TARDIS, out of the TARDIS, and uh, a couple others that I can't think of. You know, and, but I've also got there's that one, what I bought of Tigger putting together a TARDIS, and he's got the fez, and and yeah, you know, that's a different artist. But it's but there's so many Disney Doctor crossovers, and you you walk through the park. I, I don't know if it's the same in Orlando. 
but you walk through the Anaheim Park, and if you're wearing one of these shirts, there's like a wink and a nod, and all the other Doctor Who fans make them make themselves known. There's always people, a lot of employees, are like going, "Love that shirt," you know. Yeah. You, you get into a lot of conversations, yeah, yeah. but you see a lot of people. The fandom is a big crossover, so I like the idea because I mean, we've already seen that Disney's been a good influence on on Marvel, and as far as getting getting the properties into into the right creative hands. The, well, with the exception of the licensing issues they're suffering right, right now, and I'm which, hoping that the which, old guard of which Disney, predated their, which I'm hoping that the that the old guard just gets, re, you know, I I hope the outcry changes things, yeah, because I. But 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 what I, I was going to say is that yeah, I'd like to see a Doctor Who movie. I'd like to see a full feature length Doctor Who movie, and I think that would happen under Disney. I don't think that will ever happen under the BBC. They talk about it, but I agree with Stephen Moffat that the question is, well, how is it supposed to fit? Are you going to pull like a Peter Cushing back in the 60s, those two movies? Or are you going to somehow try to fit it into what is it getting to be a more tightly bound continuity? Well, I think you, you do it in continuity and you you just take a year off yeah. and make a film. It's not that much different between what they do right now between Sometimes seasons. That's true. That's true. But so, you, give them a, you give them a good big budget and you write the right script for it. Well, that's our dream, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that it'll definitely happen, uh, that we know anything. It'll yeah. happen in our dreams at the very least. <laughs> Which are very imminent because it's late and we're tired. So we're going to stop here. Uh, once again, you can uh, check us out on iTunes, Stitcher, and at www.fanboyplanet.com. You can also check out our Amazon links and PayPal if, you'd so, if you've enjoyed what you've listened to. Uh, write in if you have questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism. Write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. And I think that's it. Do you want to talk about Bacon? I mean, this... If you don't have a membership right now, but we... No, they'll have have Dave. um, If you want to go to Baycon, which is the Santa Clara science fiction and cultural fan-ish convention... Um, Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day weekend. You can you can buy tickets at the door. Okay, I guarantee you, you can buy tickets at the door. Well, then can we talk about who our guest is going to be at Baycon? Which I think we should. We've been... We have this confirmed. We were given this, and she's going to be on the panel with us. Amber Benson, uh, who some people know as Tara from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Uh, I She has also become a novelist of fantasy and I think light horror uh, novels with a little bit of a comedic bent. She's been fairly successful with that as a writer. She's also a film director, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about that film because uh, I'm just going to hold this off right now. Um, because I think it's a movie that Rick wants to see, but uh, it ties into other things we've talked about, and not a lot of people know about it. So um, she's definitely a filmmaker, she's a writer, an actress, and I guess nobody told her what we really were, because apparently she's agreed to sit on the entire podcast. And uh, and we have Stephen Nelson. I did not know. He's not listed there. We have he, Stephen Nelson, and we may have some people from Peers as well talking yes. about an upcoming event there. So we a sh- cool upcoming event. A very cool. It has to do with the conversation we just had. So anyway, we'll talk about that later on. I'm Derek McCaw, Editor-in-Chief of FanboyPlanet.com. And I'm Rick Brett Snyder reminding you to use your powers only for good.
thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com. The power of brains compels you. Okay, I think we got this down. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.